We continue with opening day Star Wars right now, and I'm assuming we're not going to talk much baseball in this segment. On the line right now, a man who is extremely popular. He is known throughout the world as the wrestling humorist. The man known as Hot Dog to some, Scott Cornish. Scott, thanks for being here on opening day Star Wars. Oh, I wouldn't be anywhere else with my voluminous uh, knowledge of baseball. (laughs) Well, also a major baseball lover from South Florida, a man known throughout the world, and some of those people will even talk to him. He's a man who is known as the Magnificent One and Hiccuping Fabulous Moolah, amongst other names. He's your friend and mine, Howard Baum. Howard, thanks for being here today. Hey, hey, hey. You know, (laughs) it's just like old home week. It fits like an old glove. I didn't realize how much I missed it until it went away. Glorious to be back. Glorious to be able to spread some sunshine during these almost post-COVID days. A tremendous shout out to all my friends and, uh, you know, listeners out there. I'm glad we're back and I'm glad you're out there listening to us. Well, you know, you're just just back from spring break, as I understand. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I I just caught um, hepatitis M through Z. So my uh, (laughs) dance card is pretty full. I'm down to South Beach, you know, I don't mean to brag. I told Dan Farron, I said, you know, it would really be a great idea to make Howard our roving spring break reporter and just give him a microphone and send him to Fort Lauderdale and just let him talk to whoever he wants to talk to. (laughs) Well, I kind of did a similar thing at a recent independent show that we had. I want to give a shout out to the uh, CCW, Coastal Championship Wrestling, and Mr. Uh, Lou Spector, who rolled out the red carpet for me, and I got to, it's kind of an old home week there, too, because it was the one of the first few times I left the house semi-maskless, just for some photo ops and stuff, and I caught up with Fonzie, my old friend, he's still calling it right down the middle, he found the Fountain of Youth, I don't know how he does it, He's like he's like a young Jimmy Hart. And um It was Lou Spector's uh, promotion? No, no, no. Oh. He he he's like an ambassador. He's a conciliary for the promotion. <laughs> really? So okay. uh, but they, they rolled out the red carpet for me and there's you know, we have a lot of listeners in the CCW locker room. Or I really wouldn't be talking about him right now. But um the local guy, uh Cha Cha Charlie, I'm a big fan and admirer of. I think he has real major league potential. And my new buddy, the Beast Man, who is Jim Cornette approved. If any of you promoters are out there, out there are looking to book a guy the size of a fridge who can do Hurricane Rana's, then he's your boy. And he's a really nice guy, too. So look him up. The Beast Man. And he's an avid 605 listener as well. Jim Cornette approved. Is this official or are you anointing yeah, this? Yeah, remember on the show? I think Cornette put him over as one of the... The Beast unique- Man? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, look at James, we record a lot. I don't remember he, this. I don't remember this. Yeah, yeah. He was, they were talking about like modern guys who are like throwbacks to, you know, not the cookie cutter, little lightweight guys that we have now. And uh, I believe I heard Corny put him over in a way. I'll have well, to go back and check. Anyway, but he's a, graduate of the, he's a graduate of the Boogie Woogie School, so you know he can get down. Oh, no. Does he know the Hangman? Bruce Pobans? I don't think so. No, this guy's legit. Beastman's legit. Look him up, folks. He's uh, he's a pretty good he's a pretty good big man on the indie circuit. Fourteen year veteran and an avid avid six oh five listener. So you brought up so before. 
Howard, uh, Sunshine. It makes me think of the Sunshine State, of course, where you are right now. And let's get some classic wrestling talk. I'd like to get your guys, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, your guys' thoughts. I'd like to get the thoughts of you two about the passing of Buddy Colt. Let me go to you first, Howard. Uh, well, my um, my exposure to Buddy Colt was very limited. I always thought that one day I would meet him at one of those Tampa Tampa brunch get-togethers, but um, that didn't really come to be. Um, and he was on the first card that I ever went to, and he was wearing a pink leisure suit, as was the style at the time, because... <laughs> Uh, he was managing King Curtis. It was right after his airplane accident, accident uh, when he was still in his 30s, and he was an NWA World Heavyweight title contender at that time. He was, you know, there was talk that he might actually be championship material and um, considered for a run in those days. Uh, but that was not, it was not meant to be, and I, I, so I never caught him as a worker, but on some old vintage films, he certainly was of the mold of an Eddie Graham, a Johnny Valentine, just a rugged, badass, blonde guy, you know, who was the consummate professional wrestler that you were not going to pick on. That's my two cents. Scott can uh, very take professional, it from there. Very professionally done there. Uh, Scott, any thoughts about Buddy Colt? You are, of course, from New York, but you're familiar with wrestling history and championship wrestling from Florida. Any thoughts? Thank you. I got to meet him a couple of times, and I certainly didn't grow up watching him, saw very little of him. I'm more familiar with him as a commentator, which is shows that I'm definitely lacking in, in seeing uh, what he did in his heyday, but certainly I've heard everybody down there sing his praises. But I, I met him at Cauliflower Alley uh, the year that he was honored, and I think that Buddy and his family took up I'm going to say conservatively 60 to 70 percent of the of the people in the ballroom, this <laughs> buddy Colt family. And he he gave a it was a good speech, but it was a long speech, too. I, I don't know what uh, if he was known for his promos. Uh, I'm sure he was considered very believable. But uh, yeah, I do remember his speech at Cauliflower Alley being very, very long. And I met him in. Uh, Howard, did you go to the Wrestle Reunion in Tampa? Yes, sir. Uh, I met him there. Um, yeah, I didn't. There, you know, there were so many people there. That was like night of too many stars. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it my was God, amazing. we met we met everyone, and still there was there were people that we didn't meet. Well, there was one thing funny. I mean, they had a live wrestling card, which was overbooked, just like the convention was was, was overbooked. Right, just everybody. Everybody was on the show, and and one match was more lackluster than the next. <laughs> we got to see a ton of people. Uh, uh, the most it would have been a hell of a card in 1984, 86, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, if anyone's yeah. familiar with that card, it was called Wrestle Reunion, aka in parentheses tagline. That's it. Stick a fork in me, Sal Corrente. <laughs> if you ever want to, if you look up dejected in the dictionary. You'd see a picture of him peeing next to me in the in the um, outside the proceedings. I'm like, so how it's going? He's like, it's going. <laughs> Noose in hand, <laughs> Noose in hand, checkbook in the other. 
Yeah, so that was kind of a debacle. What Scott is referring to is they had this these ill-advised legends reunions where all these big stars of the past came out there, but looking horrendous. Guys, once you've had it, you've had it. Don't come out for the reunion show. It's not worth it. You know, you know they're not even getting paid. And I mean, I I remember Ron Bass and the Rock and Roll Express being there. And I was there with, um, I was standing next to Norman Smiley, who I go way back with. And there was somebody doing a really old school 80s um, kind of thing in the ring. And it just might have been corny and or the Fantastics. I'm not trying to be funny. I think it was the Fantastics. Not quite sure if corny was involved because I don't remember what was going on there. But like, I look at Norman and he's looking at me and he's way more experienced than I am. But I had my doubts about what was transpiring in the ring. I look at him and he looked at me. He's like, oh my God, man, they're doing 80 spots in front of this crowd. This is bad. But I don't know. I remember it was Bobby Fulton, but I don't know who else was involved in his match. I I can't remember who was on the Cornette side. I think it was Cornette, some version of the Midnight Express, uh, maybe all three of them. And they were all against um, rock and roll and the Fantastics. And oh, okay. The well, I, was, was I probably be, am dissing that match, so <laughs> listen, you can you can just take that out of the tape, Ryan, because yeah, I'm not we'll going to spare the brunt. I always thought I could cut a promo until I heard you were corny go after somebody, and then I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think that was a, a Burt Prentice match, actually, if I, if I recall correctly. <laughs> no, it was just, I mean, they were doing what they, what they thought they should do, obviously, but it was just, it was such an ill-advised thing to even participate in that. In such an oh, yeah. inauspicious looking ballroom, and then everybody who was once great come out there. And the younger guys were still semi younger guys. They were in their 40s. And that was the show. Um, I was backstage with Bobby Fulton. Um, I go, Hey, I used to be good looking, man. He goes, Me too. What the hell happened? <laughs> really nice guy, Bobby. But there was a there was a funny story relating to to Buddy Cole. He was one of the few people who had the good sense <laughs> and the unfortunate uh, uh, unfortunate physical ailments that he didn't attempt to go anywhere near the ring. But uh, they did make a point of introducing him, giving a very special introduction. It was a big deal that he was there watching the card. Um, and our friend, our dear friend, uh, the late Harry White. Uh, was standing behind, just watching the show, standing up the entire time. Um, so here he is standing at the back of one section. It's the section where Buddy Colt is seated. So the ring announcer, it might have been Mark Nulty, uh, gives him a big, incredible introduction and points in the direction of the, the area where Buddy Colt is sitting. So everyone turns around to look at Buddy Colt and they see Harry is standing behind the section of seats. And a couple of people who knew Harry, I would have sworn it was you, uh, Howard, (laughs) or somebody else uh, from that group, just hold their hand out, gesturing to Harry, as if he was Buddy (laughs) Cole. That very well might have been. I I don't recall that, but that's pretty funny. Harry was beset by Japanese tourists the rest of the weekend who wanted autographs and pictures. Oh, my God. 
Did he resemble a, a early 2000s version of the late Buddy Cole? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was a good man too, Harry White. It's, that's, oh, those are the, the kind of people so you need great. at your wrestling functions, him. you know? I miss him terribly. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you hear about that memorial service that they had for Buddy Cole? It was him. <laughs> um, you know, I really don't know what side to take on all that. I've been uh, watching it with... Um, Objective uh, indifference. I really don't know. I don't know Lorraine, the wife. I do know that I bonded with Buddy Colt over our dogs on the Facebook. And that's the closest yeah. I ever came to meeting him. And I'm like, you know. My um, favorite part he, of it is the fact that Brian Blair, who at times the B and oh. B Brian Blair stands for bullshit. But Brian get Blair your, claims. Get your shovels out, folks. No, no, no. This won't be a complete burial. I mean, he has to, you know, he hasn't earned it yet when it comes to this story. But there's plenty of other shit. I could bury him, and he couldn't fight back. Uh, he's not capable of it. He just kisses ass and tries to be a politician. That was what he did to me on the Arezzi show, where he's like, I love Brian Last. What? You're an idiot. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, he claims, from what I read, that Buddy Colt's wife has a problem with him because he beat up her, her brother in, like, 1976. <laughs> and because of that... Ah. All these years later, almost 50 years later, oh. she's holding a ah. grudge against Brian Blair. Yeah, well, that's kind of specious. <laughs> Even by <laughs> wrestling standards. I mean, that's kind of specious. Um, of course, we don't know the story. There are his children. And I'm not, I'm just to be devil's advocate, completely objective. Um, you know, he had his kids and everyone has their different stories and everything. And then yeah. the wife, Lorraine, claims that Blair's camp has been encouraging people to just send disgusting things to her that would tarnish her memory of Buddy and such. And it's not my place to get into any of this. And it's it probably is not true, but it's just uh, it's a really unfortunate thing to lose somebody to begin with and then have to be embroiled in this kind of thing to begin with. Yeah. The only question well, is if his family really was close to him and they couldn't see him for some reason and they wanted to have their own thing and give him a send off. Then yeah, fine, I, I heard guess. That, but, I, but I don't know the inner workings. I heard that Steve Kern and Dory Funk Jr. and a few other people got up and spoke, and I'm sure that was, I'm sure that was, you know, very respectful. Uh, I did hear about one incident that happened at the memorial. I don't know if you guys heard. Uh, there was one thing where Dory Funk Jr. went up to sign the uh, the guest book. Uh oh. And then and then Marty came along right after that and scribbled it out. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> Goodness gracious. That, that could be an apocryphal story, but that's what I, I saw that coming down Fifth Avenue. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Yeah, well, it's an unfortunate situation that, I mean, for everybody that, um, mainly Buddy and Lorraine, I can't speak for the other people involved, um, but, um, you know, I mean, if the other people were not in the family circle and they needed a time to celebrate, then I mean, that's to, you know, celebrate his life. Uh, then so be it, I guess. I mean, who are well, we to say? I don't, I don't know the situation, but well, I do you know any, that he was apparently any... a really nice man. And from my brief interactions with him on the Facebook, you know, any, any guy that's yeah. a dog guy is, is aces in my book. I agree with that. Do you have any rusty Brooks stories to share? <laughs> Jeez, uh, I, I prepared a whole bunch of crap, and you guys are doing the complete 360. Rusty Brooks, here's the thing. I think 
that Rusty Brooks considered me and my dad money marks from the time that we did our wrestling promotion with Tyree in 1984 because the day see it's too bad I have this truth serum because all I'm going to do is go around burying myself and making heat with all the South Florida people now and I was going to save this for my book but since you asked I have a saying in life I like to kayfabe but if a girl needles at me and says it was the blue sweater wasn't it I'll tell her because if you guess it I have to tell you the truth, and I'm stupid that way. But here it goes. First time I met Rusty Brooks, I was like 17. Pete Letterberg brings me to a Rusty show at a skating rink. Eight fans. We go up to Rusty. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not even going to waste any film on this. <laughs> I say, I'm like to Pete, are you kidding me? I was 17, and I had better places to be. And he's like, oh, let's just introduce ourselves. And the first thing Rusty says he waddles out there in the empty roller rink, and he goes, what kind of credentials do you guys have? And I look at Pete like, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, and Pete's like, oh, well, go, 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 jabber something to him. And we end up shooting. I shot like a roll of uh, 24 shots that night. Red Roberts, who was, bust, who was um, Rusty's pal. And if you ever can find a Dr. Red Roberts interview, you notice that he sounds exactly like John McAdam. That's something I realized recently. So that's something for you people. <laughs> Anywho, so now we're big money marks and we're getting kayfabed and who are you and this and that. Then we make a deal to get on channel 39 WDZL with Tyree and we're going to the Bahamas and run shows. So then next thing you know, here comes Rusty and Red to my dad's business looking for a spot on the upcoming NASA tour and the uh, tapings and such. And this isn't to bury anyone or anything like that. It's just exactly the way it happened. And so Red ended up coming to the islands with us, and Rusty didn't, although they all made tapings with us, as did Ricky Santana, a young Chris Champion, uh, Mark Starr, who is Chris Champion's brother, guys like that, um, Cyclone Negro, some Tampa guys. Anyway, we go to the Bahamas and everything's groovy. Like Tyree had a lot of heat with Dr. Red and Rusty in real life. But um, when it comes to work in the Bahamas or having a promotion on TV, everybody wanted in. So everyone's all nice, nice. And then when that ended and Global started, I call Rusty. I'm like, hey, let me do, your, do a program or do something for you guys. He totally kayfaves me. Every time I saw Rusty after that, he kayfaves me, wouldn't uh, friend me on the Facebook. And just to be objective, like you know I am, because I don't have an agenda, I just tell the truth. Um, he was a South Florida legend in that he trained a lot of guys. He was a constant down here. He had a very successful school for a long time. He was affiliated with Dr. Red and, more importantly, Dr. Boris Malenko. And he had Malenko's playbook. He had his instructions, his actual tuition, the book. So Rusty's book was kind of handed down from Malenko, which... Now that has been passed on to Gangrel's Wrestling Asylum, who inherited Rusty, Rusty's book. And Rusty was kind of still very active training the young kids of today with Gangrel at Gangrel's place. So he definitely has his place in history. Um, you know, he did the, uh, the, the student show uh, model, which is, you know, use your students. Don't bring in too many names or anything like that. And uh, that's about it. He, he's well-loved, that's for sure, in our community. 
he just never considered me anything more than a money mark. I tried. So, I mean, what can you do about that? I always got a kick out of him being introduced as being from Denton County, Texas, because I'm thinking, well, there's the Von Erichs from Denton County, and then there's Rusty Brooks. Right. He does not look like a Von Erich. I don't know why. Stupid thing, but always made me laugh whenever he was introduced as being from the same place as the Von Erichs. Well, when he when he started, he was very reminiscent of Dusty, and he actually went by Dusty Brooks in the beginning, and he had to be um, curbed from doing that because it was it was muddying the waters. It wasn't. I mean, obviously, the comparison wasn't going to make him look good. And um, but if you look at his work, his actual ring work, he was very influenced by Dusty, Terry Funk, Dick Slater. Same expressions, same kind of slugfest. And for a big man, he was really quite agile. And he was better than you would think. So, um, I mean, on the national scene, he went about as far as he could go. But as far as being a big fish in a little pond of South Florida, he was very influential to generations of stars. (laughs) There was a match I loved. I think it was, and I could be wrong. I want to say it was Toronto, maybe. It was the British Bulldogs versus Rusty Brooks and Goldie Rogers. And I remember, hmm, thinking, I remember that, yeah. and I remember thinking it was great. I mean, you know, Goldie Rogers and Rusty Brooks were such a different tag team, and the Bulldogs were just coming in, and all the things they were doing were brand new. But what were you going to say, Scott? Oh, nothing really. It just I liked uh, Howard just brought up Red and Rusty. That sounds like an old Johnny Whitaker movie, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> some kind of Disney uh, Disney epic. But uh, uh, beyond that. Yeah, he was just somebody that I remember from WWF television. I don't think I ever saw him outside of that. Uh, yeah, he was quite a mover and a shaker down here. I mean, as far as he he pretty much pioneered the idea of like student shows and running the school and all that. And that was his niche. And that's an effective niche. And it was smart on his behalf. Oh, yeah. He trained a lot of guys, though. Can you name some of them? Ah, uh, Gangrel. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I I don't have his thing in front of me, but you can look it up, folks. Uh, it, yeah, I'm sure he's trained some some good names. Um, I none of them come to mind, but I know he. Jeez, I think Gangrel trained under him. Maybe. No, it was definitely under uh, Rusty, and that's the only one I could think of off the top of my head. Sorry, folks. That's okay. I just um, it's going to show my ignorance. Uh, years ago. I used to wonder when I'd hear about people that were training and wrestling, and I'd never heard of these people, you know? Oh, like a Rusty Brooks, let's say. And I always wondered, how do you train somebody to be better than you are? Right. (laughs) I don't know. No answer. Okay. (laughs) You know, um, I guess this is about as good a place as any to shoehorn this in. I just have like a little (laughs) observation to make. No, it's just, I mean, before the show gets all, um, you know, before I lose my chance to do it. And by the way, shout out to Jim Valley. I wanted to do that at the top. Inspirational wrestler of the year personality, Jim Valley, <laughs> out of the hospital, out of out of everything, back home with his That's lovely right. wife, Carrie, loving life, and good sedunk, and good on you, man. You know you're my man. Anyway, that was smooth. <laughs> I love that. I love when I laughed into my Pete Letterberg. Anyway, 
when I was at the indie show, I, I got to know some of these guys and it kind of, kind of gave me an old home feeling when I was in the dressing rooms with Tyree and stuff, just a big dressing room of convivial, sweaty, stinky guys in their hideous gimmicks and beards sweating all over me. And yet, as sarcastic as that sounds, I really felt like I was at home. I'm like, wow, this really brings me back. And I said to, to Lou, like, wow, I'm back in the wrestling business. But I got to tell you some observations. And it's not guys that I met. and It's not guys that I talked about previously. It's guys who are friends of friends of these guys. And that's a shoot because my buddies that I mentioned did not say this stuff. But I was looking around because I got kind of curious about the independent scene. Because everybody says to me, it's what you think it is. And I'm like, okay, but we'll see. And um, this has nothing to do with CCC, but the CCW, but this is like branching out into friends of friends. And these are a couple of things that I saw. And one of them was a meme that said, we're just swole theater kids. And that's bad enough. And I'll get to that in a second. But the second thing I saw was a full-on match and two guys are fighting each other with life, with lightsabers, a la Star Wars. And the caption was, I love, I love pro wrestling. And uh, that's like me taking a job at Publix, walking into the frozen food department, taking a shit on the floor and saying, I love the grocery business. <laughs> what the fuck? You're not in the wrestling business. And, you know, these people are trying to gaslight us into thinking that wrestling has evolved. And I'm here to reiterate right. once again, it's not me and Cornette and Brian against the wrestling world. We are. <laughs> How did we get saying, lumped into this? <laughs> no, 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 because it, 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 because let me just say this. That, no, 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 there's a whole part to that. But let me just say this. Without kayfabe, it's not wrestling. So you don't even need to judge it by wrestling. And it's, it's like you can't even – state the truth without being lumped into a category because I did a, one of my patented lazy reviews of an AEW show. I had not seen AEW, but in the interim when 605 was not on, I listened to Cornette because when we're on a lot, I don't listen to Cornette because my views are so um, – I always say the same exact thing as him and that doesn't – I'm not trying to put myself over or mention myself in the same breath as him. As Brian will tell you, I told him a million times, I'm not to be mentioned in his category. He's a million times more qualified. But I did a review completely objectively, and it sounded exactly like Cornette wrote it. And then someone said to me, you're just agreeing with Cornette, blah, blah, blah. So much like politics today, you can't even say the truth as you see it without being lumped into a category. And I think this new generation of what I call the ironic age of wrestling, deconstructed the indie guys today think that they're doing to wrestling what Letterman did to the talk show, which is deconstruct <laughs> it, That's interesting. wink at it, present it in a new way for their entertainment, but and it might even have an audience, but the audience is so much smaller. And wrestling cannibalized itself, and this is the post-cannibalization age. It started cannibalizing itself around 1998 when Gordon Soley himself said to me, you know why it's so hot right now? Because the people are smart and they're interested to learn more. And he was okay with it. I'm like, and what do you think about that? He's like, I think it's great because it was a big boom time for the business. But 20 years post-cannibalization, you have the ironic era where nothing could be taken seriously. And a friend of mine asked me for advice. And he said, what do you think I should do? And I said, 
how about when you come out there, you give off the impression that you could kill any of the fans at any given moment, and you actually act like you have hatred in your heart for your opponent. Because most of what I see on the indie scene is like a dance. It's like, I'm going to stand here and do this to you. I'm going to stand here while you do this to me. We're going to tentatively punch each other and set up a spot. Some manager spot that's been set up nine years ago in the corner is now coming toward the ring. Everyone sees waiting for the crash through the table. I go, if you come out there like Terry Funk and shake the rail um, and act like you're going to kill somebody, they're going to be afraid of you. They don't know you. Don't come out there and glad hand people at the gimmick table. Be a monster and you're going to be real. And then you don't have to do as much during your match. And I say to some promoter friends, like, why don't they do this and this? He's like, well, you can't come out and call somebody fat. You can't come out and shake the rail. You can't come out and, and put smoke in the air. You can't have too, much, too loud of a noise. I'm like, well, you can't have wrestling anymore. It's gone the way of the freak show. None of the old stuff fits into the paradigm of professional wrestling today. It's like taking a band like Led Zeppelin, who had heavy and light. They just took one aspect of old wrestling, the goofy, stupid, whisper the willow, finish hold, Jeff Hardy bullshit, skinny guys, ridiculous outfits, little tiny girls. And they think they're wrestlers now. And it brings me back. And the the thing that really puts a button on it is we are nothing but swole theater kids. And that's bullshit. Because theater was a very small part of the wrestling. You're supposed to act like your character, conduct yourself that way, period. That's wrestling. So what I say to you guys, the problem is that there's too much division in this country. God, this is some soliloquy, huh? Just like politics, we can't even argue – we can't even agree about the truth. I can't say my opinion about a wrestling match. I've been around since 1975. Oh, and it appears Howard's – Call is disconnected. He is gone. Scott, are you there? Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to try to get him back on. We're still recording, but I want to make a correction. I must be having a delusion here. It wasn't Rusty Brooks. It was the British Bulldogs versus Goldie Rogers and Bobby Bass. I went and tried to look it up. I was remembering this match from Toronto. And apparently it was Bobby Bass and Goldie Rogers. I could have sworn I saw the Bulldogs against Goldie Rogers and Rusty Brooks. But now I realize I may be completely wrong. I will continue the investigation. Let's try to add Howard back to this and find out what happened here. We're calling him right now. Right in the middle of his big speech, he gets cut off. How rude. He was about a third of the way. Hey, I don't know what happened. Well, we're still recording. Uh, We made a correction that the Toronto match was Goldie Rogers and Bobby Bass. It didn't even contain Rusty Brooks against Uh, the Bulldogs. But continue with your, you were lifting up the audience. So almost done with my, (laughs) almost done with my thing here. But I mean, it's been building up since I kind of, I've been completely ignorant to the, to the indie scene. And I just decided to get into it a little bit because a lot of these kids really are good guy kids. Listen to me. Ida May, uh, much Nick over here, but a lot of these guys are really good guys, and I felt good being around the business again and everything, and I'm like, you know, if you ask me for advice, I'm going to think about it and give you a uh, a wizened, considered answer. So, um, 
So here's here's the the problem is that we can't agree. It's a it's a wrestling civil war. Um, Brian, I've heard you many times be completely objective about AEW. I don't own a company. I don't even have a podcast. Why do I have to? Why would I lie? Why would I lie? I've been here since 1975. I've seen and met everybody that there is. I've photographed them from eight inches away. I know bullshit. Don't gaslight me. You people are gaslighting us. This is not an evolution of wrestling. It is a new offshoot that came from wrestling. It's called sports entertainment. Go for it. Put your fucking tutus on. Sing and dance and do whatever you want. Don't call it wrestling. You're not related to Jack Briscoe, Ric Flair, Joe LaDuke. So the simple solution is, you know, sticking up for for professional wrestling in this day and age is like being the bouncer for a bar that closed 30 years ago. You don't respect the business, but all that is so dead. Kevin Nash destroyed that 22 years ago. And that's just the way it is. But what we have is our memories, YouTube, and my upcoming photo books. So with that, that is my rant on – that's my state of the union of independent wrestling. You hit, on, you hit on several things there and several more that I won't even recap. But, <laughs> you know, like you said, if anyone, anyone, Joe Blow, Johnny Twitter Egg, whoever it may be, if they say something critical of AEW – They'll right away get accused of being a parrot for Jim Cornette, repeating something what Jim that? Cornette says, as if no one else has a similar thought or no one else sees the same problems. And I'm one of these I, people, I'm not saying let's go back to Mid-South Wrestling. You can't mm-hmm. go back. You say Kayfabe's been dead. I agree, Kayfabe's dead. You can still have a wrestling show under the pretense that everything you're seeing is existing in the world of Kayfabe. And... Mid-South Wrestling treated it like it was a real sport. The commentators didn't insult you. The wrestlers, at times, exaggerated, but for the most part, not silly, not goofy. No one was doing a dance routine. No one was treating it like it was their own private talent show. Mm -hmm. There were lots of guys out there in front of the camera who I'm sure in the back could do magic. I'm sure (laughs) some of them were good dancers. I'm sure some of them could sing. You didn't really see that when right. they were out there scaring off Skandar Akbar or anything like that. And right. I think for a lot of us, we were hoping that you could say AEW, but it really is a competitive promotion to WWE that is well-funded would be something that was very much the opposite of that brand of entertainment, a very unique style of entertainment. I said it on Jim Cornette's show recently. Vince McMahon's comedy is its own brand of comedy. No one else does this comedy. It's not particularly funny. The goal of it is to be funny, but it's a unique WWE branded form of comedy that no one else in any other form of entertainment really tries to touch. And AEW had the chance to go the other way and be more like Mm -hmm. a Mid-South Wrestling or any promotion that just treated the one hour or 90 minutes or two hours you're about to watch take place in a world where wrestling is real and take place in a world where the people you're about to see are real people who hate each other and are trying to win matches so they can get more money and get the title so they can get more money and get more pussy and get more everything else instead of 
like I said, a endless talent show. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense. And I think that's one of the big arguments I have about AEW. AEW had a chance to be the opposite. And they, they did everything they could to promise you that beforehand. And now they're yeah, walking everything why back. They did. They're walking everything back now. Oh, sports-based wrestling. And we're going to treat things serious. And the women will be paid the same as the men. And we're going to have health insurance. I mean, there's a lot of shit they said that hasn't really come to fruition. And now they walk everything back. But I think that's the thing. A lot of us watch AEW and you say, you know what? This is impact with a budget in so yes. many ways. Yes. And yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it was such a blown opportunity and they had it in the palm of their hands because ECW caused a revolution in 1995. And they could have caused a revolution. Every 20 years, there's a revolution. And now they've just exacerbated and underlined the revolution of people who do this bullshit. And like you were saying about the WWE, WWF, ever since the 80s, every other promotion, no matter what their budget, tiny little show somewhere or big giant TV show, AWF, well, they had the round system, but they still sucked. But they all have to borrow these awful things that only WWE ever did. They were never a part of the wrestling business before WWE. People used to come in with no, with no music through two different doors. And if there was a spotlight or a music to accompany a guy, you were like, holy shit, I'm seeing a major production. We went, I went to Star Wars 80 in at Hollywood Sportatorium, Dusty Rhodes against Harley Race for the first time ever world title in a cage. And they had they played music and a spotlight on Dusty when he came out, and I'm like, this is the biggest big time shit I've ever seen. It was goosebump inspired. It was goosebump, uh, you know, whatever. Awesome. It gives you goosebumps. That was it. Yeah. So here's yes, they all these groups they borrow the the entrance ramp, and I've heard you guys discuss oh, this, yeah. which is why I shouldn't listen to you guys. But there's the entrance, <laughs> and there's the bad. Co- I'll tell you. Okay, the Led Zeppelin analogy, you take, okay, so Led Zeppelin was light and heavy and funky and soulful and country and rock and blues, but you take one aspect of that, the heavy metal aspect of it, and that's what a lot of bands did, and they became either Deep Purple or whatever, we could all debate that on another show, but um, they took one aspect out of WWE, and like you said, it's the one aspect that not only shouldn't be even in existence to begin with, but definitely can't be recreated, which is that awful, hideous backstage, watching the monitor, dressing room skits between two people, having words and conversations that would never happen, standing at awkward angles that would never transpire. And that's that's not a part of wrestling. And when people come to me and they want to do it the old way and the right way, these, these poor, earnest believers... And I'm very dear friends with a lot of them. We're going to promote it the right way. We're going to bring it back like you're used to. We're going to do We Wrestle, all this stuff. And it's like Aerosmith coming out with their ninth crap album in a row saying we're going to get back to our original rock and roots. Because in today's world, there's no, there's no place for wrestling. Like the great Terry Funk said to me in person and on numerous shoot interviews, he says, it's all going to come from MMA. You'll see. MMA is where it's all coming from now. They're already starting to do it. Because wrestling went the way of Joel Gray 
And MMA is the one who has the badasses <laughs> and the fights you want to see and the shit. MMA is the prize fight of the of the of the current era. And um, wrestling had its chance, and it's a tragedy because enough time has passed that a young generation, if it was presented as real to them, when the people come to me, my believer friends, Tyree Pride wanted to get something going again. I have some other dear friends in the industry, and they're like, we should get things going. I'm like, you know what? It's spitting in the wind. It's never going to work. But if I was going to do it, this is what you would do. Um, you just have all the guys kayfabe. And make them believe you are who you want them to believe and don't get on Twitter. And I've said this before, but it's so obvious. But it's not going to change because these kids now were raised on this. And, and, and that's they're in what the it is. Era. That's what it is. Right. They grew right. up seeing this. They think this. You say wrestling's you know not coming back. Wrestling's dead. This is the wrestling they grew up on. So right. it's just the natural evolution of the bad comedy of the WWE. And I will say this, too. Because you get people that you hear them say what I say about AEW, and they'll go, oh, well, AEW's successful. Yeah, you know what? They are. They got a TV deal. It's relatively cheap for TNT, but it's good money for AEW. It keeps the lights on, even if it wasn't a billionaire's son running the company. And more importantly, let's say they have 800,000 viewers. They convert 125,000 of those viewers into paying customers four times a year on pay-per-view. So in a sense, Hey, they're doing something right. They don't have an audience that grows. It's a super niche, small audience, but they get them to pay. So maybe they're doing it right. If that's the business they want, which is just, we have a relatively small audience. Let's hone in on them and just focus on them. But their audience isn't going up. It's going down slightly, little by little. But again, if TNT's happy and they got all these people paying for the pay-per-view, then maybe they're happy. Maybe they're okay with that. Maybe they don't have the goal of let's get 2 million people a week to watch our show. Well, you know, we're in a niche world now where the numbers might not be as big, but you're catering to a built-in audience. And maybe that's the truth, but I mean, we're here to discuss wrestling ostensibly. And um, my least favorite page on the Meltzer thing would always be the, the business and the pay-per-view and all that. Um, I don't really care about the, um, yeah, I never dynamics about be, the ratings. you know, I never care about the dynamic. I just, like I told somebody that was asking me, I'm like, you know, I'm not an expert in psychology. I don't know how to work. I'm completely uncoordinated, but I do know when something looks good and when something has intention behind it. And I, I, I tell anybody that's going to start a promotion and they're all like, oh, old school, we're going to call up this loser and this bum and this half, this half wit and this has been. And I'm like, listen, man, just get some tough people that you never saw before that can work. Don't let them on social media. Have the heels act like assholes. Have the baby faces act like nice guys because the people haven't seen this before. <laughs> it's like, you know, it would be a whole new thing. Wow. It'd be a whole new thing. And it's like, you come out, out of separate dressing rooms, no music, and the people would be like, what the hell's going on? They'd be into what's actually transpiring in the ring. But everybody just wants to put on playtime. So, hey. I mean, so I'm here in a in a conciliatory uh, gesture. I say to the wrestling <laughs> world, let's agree to disagree. Professional wrestling. Now, this is a good... Uh, 
topic for debate. What is the year that wrestling actually ended and sports entertainment began? Uh, but the important thing is to know that it did happen and that it did indeed go the way of the freak show, which is proper professional wrestling could never be presented in today's environment. Oh, don't shake the rail like Terry Funk. You're going to injure a small child who put his diet Pepsi up there and he has his insulin resting on the thing. Oh, don't throw fire. Somebody is smoke intolerant in Detroit. You know, like, you can't do it. You can't call anyone fat boy. You can't say I'm going to fuck your wife. None of it. David Lee Roth couldn't even survive today. It's like, uh, by, by the way, even, the even, in the, even in the territories, no one got on the mic and said, and I'm going to fuck your wife. <laughs> well, Flair alluded to it. He's like, you know, or maybe I'm confusing it with Roth. I don't know. But, you know, in the 80s, that was the shtick. It's like, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And now none of that flies. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the deal. So, guys, wrestling world, let's unite. We're not lying to you. Um, we're here to discuss wrestling here on the 605 last time I checked and wrestling ended, I don't know when some say 89, you know, I like DCW, give it a couple years for that, but Hey, by the time Vince admitted it was fake, that was one, that was one, um, See, I don't think that, I, watershed I, moment. I'm one of those people that doesn't think Vince admitting it fake was the problem. It's presenting it like it's fake. Right, right. It's the actual well, from day TV one. Show. I mean, he he shit on the business more before he admitted it was fake. From 1983 on, destroying every wrestler's career with crappy gimmicks. I mean, this is just such a retread. It's just so obvious. But I guess you know, 30 years later, people don't even know it, and it's a tragedy. Because it's one thing. I'm quite sure Led Zeppelin was good, and I never saw them live, but. I saw Harley race live in 1976, so I can talk. And the kids are never going to know what a smoky building filled with superstar Graham or Harley race or Joe LaDuke, who's literally going to kick your ass if you step out of line versus what is going on today. And let's talk about the size of these people. There was a three-way <laughs> ladder match with a girl who's like four feet tall. And I'm not shitting on anyone. And this is a funny moment, though. We're watching. I did the classic wrestler thing where you look at uh, an opening in the curtain, and we're all watching. It was like a it was a dressing room sellout. And these three girls are having a um, ladder match, and I don't want to shit on it. I mean, who am I? I'm not, but it was not Razor and Sean. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that's that's the first and last I'm going to say about that match. And afterwards, the girl came back, and she was very earnest, and like, was it good? Blah blah blah. And she was very earnest and a nice girl. And I see how easy it is to fall into the trap of saying, you're great, that was great, blah, blah, blah. And nobody's going to learn by that because everyone's just patting each other on the back. And stars that come in from other promotions are just putting shit over. Um, and this is not anything that I witnessed. You know, Well, the three-way thing was a CCW thing. But the funny thing about that is Sandman – Stands right in front of me. He's a big dude. Stands right in front of me. I'm six feet and I had my big boy shoes on. I'm six feet. He towered over me by like three, four inches. And he, he like, you know when someone, it looked like he was doing it on purpose because he's like plop, plop, left, right. Okay, I'm right in the middle of this guy. Perfect. I go, perfect. That's a good spot. 
Because it was a very narrow thing that you could see through the curtain. And who am I? He's entitled to stand in front of me. But he stands right in front of me. I'm like, yeah, that's a good spot. All I'm seeing is like his neck, extreme close-up of Sandman's neck. And I'm thinking about all the comedy, you know, that's coming out of this moment. And then as he began to talk about the match, I realized that Sandman is really Raven plus Jim Brewer. Because Raven (laughs) is like, Dreamer. I was so fucked up the other night. I don't even know what planet I was on. And then Jim Brewer, well, that's a horrible raven, but I've done it better in the shower. And then Jim Brewer is like, I'm goat boy. But at the end of it, you get Sandman. She needs to go faster, bro. She needs to go faster. (laughs) They need to catch her, not the other way around. That's my yeah. that's my Sandman. Let me uh, let me just say I hate Jim Brewer, and I'm a Met fan. <laughs> and sometimes they have him on yeah. Met documentaries and stuff on SNY, the Mets channel, and he fucking ruins it. He sucks. <laughs> from from Long Island, Met fan. You think I would like him? Uh-uh. But Scott, I want to get uh, you in here. Uh, any comments about all that? But also, I just want to hear a little bit about <laughs> all that. <laughs> I know that you recently ran into a man I got, who. No, I, 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 I'll, I'll quickly tell you my my one encounter with Sandman. I'll <laughs> recount the the entire uh, conversation. Uh, he was down in Amarillo. You were there too, Brian, at uh, the uh, Fifty Years of Funk. I forget who he uh, went against on the wrestling show, but the next day they had all the wrestlers, most all of them, out at uh, the Double Cross Ranch and. Uh, most of the guys were allowing themselves to mix and mingle and some guys just stayed off by themselves and didn't want to be bothered. But I find myself next to Sandman, you know, getting food or something like that. And he's got a a real photorealistic uh, tattoo of himself on his arm. A picture of himself carrying a Singapore cane with, with a sort of a Budweiser logo and look to it you know and i said you know just trying to make small talk (laughs) with sandman i say (laughs) wow that is uh that's some tattoo where'd you get that done and he looks over and he says philly Uh, that was my (laughs) whole conversation (laughs) oh my god never met him again he didn't he didn't seem like a real raconteur there was a young African-American kid who had this, like, huge um, Angela Davis bouffant afro. Like, I've never seen. It was like a it was like a negative of a dandelion. And he was a young kid. And um, it was after the show, and everyone's doing their autograph appearances and all that. And Salmon's like, hey, bro, your hair is such a great gimmick. Your hair is a whole gimmick in itself, man. He's like an interesting – I think there should be like a 24-hour Sandman cam. I think he's a very entertaining guy just uh, just existing. Like you don't know what he's thinking. You don't know if it's a work at the time. You don't know if he's in a good mood or a bad mood. You don't know if he's particularly fucked up or not. It's just he's an entertaining you don't. guy. Well, speaking of interactions with wrestlers, Scott, I understand that you recently had a run-in with a wrestler that you made famous – Ken Patera. <laughs> ah. I don't know that I'd call it a run-in, but I, I went to a signing that was him and uh, Tony Gurria. 
at a mall. Uh, uh, there's a figure store uh, up there in uh, at this particular mall in Albany that does a ton of signings. I, they have not slowed down during this pandemic <laughs> presenting these signings. I will say that, uh, that, that the signing of the Patera and Tony Gurria had, they had a steady stream of fans coming in to see them and everybody wore masks and everybody stood, you know, an appropriate length apart. But any of these things, when they're presenting them now, they tell you, well, everything's going to be cool. You know, we're going to you know, sanitize the table and we're going to do this. <laughs> and we're going to do that, you know, and then you get up to the front and the mat and the masks all come off because who wants to take a picture of Patera wearing a mask, you know, but it was exciting for me to finally meet him. And uh, I was thinking, well, how do I approach this? I was hoping we'd get, uh, you know, a little sound bite or something for the show. But if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. But that guy, and he, he will tell you himself that he has, that he stopped other than a, a couple of beers every now and then he stopped drinking the hard stuff back in January. And he's quite proud of that. And if that's what happened, he should be proud of it, you know, but that guy is funny as all. <laughs> He's an absolute, I mean, he was before and people just said, oh, he gets loaded and he doesn't care what he says. You know, the guy has no filter whatsoever. Uh, he's got an incredibly clear memory, which is very rare for somebody <laughs> that's, that took a pounding like he did and has been around that long. He's in his 70s now. He looks reasonably good, but um, uh, he is funny as all hell, man. I just had a had a plenty of opportunity to talk to him. He was very approachable, very, very, uh, very with it. You could bring up just about any subject. He'd say just about anything in response, you know, but it's clear that he, he has, uh, a very good, a very good mind as far as memory of, uh, matches and things he's been involved in. Morocco is another one that I've seen interviewed, not as often as Patera, but Patera is, you know, He's got, uh, yeah, he doesn't share the same political views of, of uh, Jim Cornette, let's put it that way. <laughs> but other than that, uh, uh, he was so funny, uh, you know, and so quick with uh, the stuff he was saying. So, you know, I waited my turn, just like everybody else, and got up there the front. The fellow that was help helping present it and organize it kind of gave those guys the the word that I was coming through <laughs> uh, you know i'm just trying to think of the the, the things he, he just had some you know as you're waiting you hear him interacting with people and tony garia who i never was a huge super fan of um same thing guy turned out to be uh very very nice i had just by coincidence not by co yeah actually just by coincidence <laughs> no i brought it in purpose the very first wrestling show i went to was in 1980. It was a kind of a very late start. You know, I went to a show in Utica at the Utica Auditorium in 1980. And on that show, Intercontinental title match, Ken Patera against Tony Gurria. <laughs> so I've got the fly, I've got the lineup sheet from the program and I'm off only off by one day. That match took place 40 years to the minus one day. To the day I met those guys. So I got this thing going, oh, here's where you were 40 years ago. You were fighting each other in Utica, you know? 
and I got them both to sign the lineup sheet. And and uh, Gurrillo was just completely blown away looking at it, you know. And uh, he t- got up, took over, and showed it to Patera. And I had a couple of copies made, gave those guys each a copy of it, which they seemed to seemed to appreciate. But oh my God, Patera was so funny. Um, <laughs> he's a he's a hoot. We hung out. I think it was '09 at CAC. He's a real legitimate hoot. Oh God, he's a. Uh, at one point, he's you know he's talking to whoever he's got in line, you know, and Tony Correa's, you know, over, you know, just a few feet away, and uh, you hear uh, Patera go, "Oh yeah, of course, I remember the, uh, I remember the Washington Avenue Armory in Albany." He yeah, said, "Yeah, I, I wrestled there many, many times." Because you know who I beat over there in Albany, Tony Gonorrhea. loud enough that of course Tony has to be or he just rolls his eyes or something like that and then later on somebody asks Patera apparently about Vince McMahon and very loudly he goes fuck Vince right Tony (laughs) and then immediately then immediately he says oh wait a minute you don't still work over there do you (laughs) (laughs) He even does something sometimes where he'll make a joke and then he is an exaggerated loud laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, that guy was so great. It was really uh-huh. a pleasure. I talked to him about different things. I asked him about Andy Kaufman, working with Andy Kaufman. And, and I didn't realize he had run into Kaufman in WWE when Andy would come to shows at uh, Madison Square Garden. Then he ends up working with him once or twice down in Memphis. He goes, oh, yeah. He says, yeah, I knew Andy Kaufman uh, very, very well. And he's saying that Kaufman used to come uh, fully dressed, but with his wrestling gear on, you know, the ridiculous outfit that he wore with the sweats and the T-shirt and the black shorts and stuff. He said he would have that all on and then his regular street clothes above that, you know? When he went to the dressing room, apparently, so he didn't have to change in the in the locker room. You know? I don't know why, but uh, that was Patera was just saying, yeah, yeah. He'd take off his regular street clothes and he'd have his wrestling outfit underneath it. He takes a long pause. And he says, "Yeah, because I, I have to say the guy was a real fucking weirdo." <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he said at CAC, Mill was prancing around there, still on his tiptoe at like 80 years of age, whatever year that was. It was 09. And Mill was like a stuck-up guy. And, you know, I mean, here he is as an old man. He's stuck up. I mean, you can imagine during his prime. So we're all in the same room together. And uh, Patera goes, uh, we're all at Marion Square Garden. That's awful. (laughs) He goes, "We're we're all at the garden. He comes out of the shower with his mask on. I go, Mill, no one gives a fuck what you look like, you asshole. Well, the best. We, we've told this story. Sarah, but you get the idea. We've told this story many times. It's still one of my favorite fucking stories ever. Scott, do you want to tell it or do you want me to tell it? I'll tell it. Yeah. Okay. Donnie Liable years ago had a local radio show. <laughs> oh, boy. And he would bring wrestlers on the show occasionally that he was that he knew. Like he he first met him because he called me out of nowhere and just said, Hey, yeah, I'm doing this thing on the radio where we're going to interview Lou says, you know, and he'd bring on various people. Uh, 
because he was part of this morning radio show in Utica that was sort of kind of like a morning zoo. The guy that hosted it, uh, Bill Keeler, really considered himself like the local Howard Stern, you know, the wise guy and that kind of humor and all that stuff. And, and Donnie was a sports reporter, occasionally got a wrestling story across. So one day he has Patera on the line and, uh, and Bill Keeler is trying to be a little bit outrageous, you know. He's trying to ask a question. He doesn't realize that that Patera is is a, a real live wire and doesn't care what he says. And uh, so they're talking about this guy and that guy. And uh, Keeler says, "Yeah, what about this uh, Mill Mascaris? I used to see him when I was younger. Uh, he seemed a little light in the loafers. Am I right?" And Patera immediately, without even pausing the slightest bit, it was so matter of fact. He says. Oh yeah, of course he's a fag. He's a Mexican. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> on live radio. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! What year is this? Oh gosh, um, it's got to be yeah. late nineties, right? What sense does that even make? Since when are Mexicans known for being homosexual to begin with? <laughs> In the world They're of Kim Patera. I just think he's just he's just <laughs> rattling something off. Just throwing something off the top of his head. No, he was, was a fucking hoot man. You, Let don't, me tell you, you don't, you don't laugh ahead. at it because it's a slur. You laugh at it because it's so... It, you can't it. believe it. You can't believe a guy is... It's like a real-life Archie Bunker. He's sitting there saying these things with a... <laughs> half the time... If, if somebody... I have a thing in life. Like, if somebody presents themselves as an asshole, and I'm not saying that's Ken Patera. It's not the case. He was really cool. But if somebody says something outrageous, or if they say something where they're, like, being an asshole or a narcissist, I think they're joking. And um, that's just the way some people are. And he's one of those guys. And you're cracking up, and he's like, I'm serious, my friend. <laughs> All right. But I mean, hey, a guy like that is a time capsule because they don't make guys like that anymore. You know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I'll I tell mean, you what, guys, it, speaking uh, of guys they don't make someone like anymore, I'm going to add something yes. to this call uh, momentarily. I have a different phone number. Apparently, I've been instructed to call him on this week than we're used to. So let me dial this in here. Oh, this, I hope this is who I think it is. I think you think it is who it is, if that made any sense as I said it while I'm that, typing. That that lack of music can mean only one thing. <laughs> <laughs> we are dialing him right be. now. Silence for his big introduction. He'll say something. All right. Else. He always does. It is calling. Greetings. Is this Vandal Drummond? <laughs> that depends. Rockin' Jerry Brown? Oh, God, no, no, never, ever, ever. Vandal Drummond, yes, as uh, long as you're willing to uh, to give a little something to the coffers of the Church of Jabrias, as always. Well, here he is on opening day Star Wars. No one <laughs> we could think about adding to this baseball talk like Mr. Baseball himself, Vandal Drummond, Kurt Brown. That's me, that's the... And Big I think that's the first fish, question baby. that you're That's right, that's right, Tuba City Cuttlefish. Ah. Although, man, they're gonna have some tough competition, baby. They're gonna because of the new team in Lane County, Oregon. Uh they're called the Lane County uh, drug freaks. So yes. 
Uh, well, Kurt, thank you for being here on the line with us. Howard Baum, who you just you. briefly uh, talked to there. And of course, the noted humorist himself, Scott Cornish. <laughs> beep, beep. Hello, Kurt. Uh, how's it going? This is it, baby. <laughs> the all-star game for real. Yes. Yes, the show that's the non-baseball part of the program, part B, the main event. Here it is, baby. Yes, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for uh, Tofu Burger today. (laughs) You being Vandal Drummond, did you ever run into that fan? I remember his name in The Observer years ago, Neil Drummond. I remember Neil Drummond. I'll never, I I even met him when I was up in Vancouver. I remember uh, what I remember best is we I met him in a bar with this guy Mike Olson who we hung with who was a worker, and uh, yeah I, I go into the men's room and uh, I'm standing right next to Neil Drummond in the urinal and uh, we're making small talk and I mentioned the name Dave Meltzer and he 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 spins his head and looks at me and goes oh him he breaks cake hey. <laughs> 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 what a I, I can't count I can't count the number of uh Meltzer discussions I've had in urinals. <laughs> <laughs> With Terry what Gordy else, and Dave. What else Pat? would you talk about? What else would you talk about? <laughs> Kurt, if I can ask you something that's somewhat serious, and I don't know how much of it you've seen, yeah. but you know Dave better than than most. You've known him longer than most around wrestling. Yes, I have. What do you think of Dave on Twitter? Uh, I think he needs to unsharpen his teeth a bit. That's a nice way of putting it. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I don't, I know, seriously, I don't mind him being, uh, snarky back to snarky people, but, you know, I think he just, he should just let it go. I, I, you know, it, you know, I, I mean, he's my friend. I'm worried he's going to get an ulcer or a hiatal hernia if he keeps going at this rate, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes it's warranted with this stuff he says, but I also think people are just, you know, doing it because they know they're going to get rea- get a reaction out of him. So, you know, you know, lately he's been especially angry, and you know, I think he'd be doing himself a favor if he just kind of lets it go. You know, but then again, you're talking to me, Mister Type B, Mister Hippie Dan. I was about himself. to say maybe he would cool out on Twitter a little if there was more Vandal Drummond on Twitter to lighten the spirits of everybody. But you're barely there. I'm a little more than I used to be. You know, actually, that's a good point because I've been actually enjoying Twitter a little more lately because I don't know why, but I'm getting a few more responses. I used to come up with stuff that, uh, I don't know, I thought it was witty and I'd get uh, two uh, hearts uh, in response. (laughs) (laughs) And then maybe an illiterate response. Not a giant (laughs) fan of the Twitter. I mean, it doesn't seem as, you know how celebrities talk about Oh, TV is like instantaneous and movies are like you have to wait six months. I feel like Twitter is not worth it because it's like there seems to be such a distance. And then if you see something interesting or controversial, you have to click on it. And and then it's like, oh, start here. Oh, no, go back to this guy's thing. But when there's something interesting, it's on Facebook. You can say something funny right then and there. Or maybe I'm just old and it's easier. But I know. You know what I think? I think you're right, Howard. I think people are just more personable on Facebook. I think people are a little more intimate, you know. Uh Facebook we're having a bit more of an orgy where um you know we're going to church on Twitter. Yeah, I mean it's like on Facebook you're ostensibly re, uh representing yourself. 
And on Twitter, it's kind of like, what is this world between promotion and the real me and trying to be cute and clever? And even the celebrities fall into the trap. They're like, I mean, Michael McKenna has nothing better to do than sit at home and be witty and Bob Odenkirk. These people are legends, but they take time out of their day. Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks is great on Twitter. I should follow him. Yeah, yeah. You got to follow the geniuses because that's a word of advice to you guys out there. You know, Um, don't just follow, you know, don't just put on the local radio station. Do a deep dive on music. Don't just put on um, Joe Rogan. Do a deep dive on inspirational people and, and learn some stuff. Like there's a whole big world out there and you're just being sold McDonald's. And power, so, you know, you and I, that's where you and I kind of like, <laughs> I know that you, you famously said once that uh, you're the heel to my baby face. But one thing you and I have in common is we have this curiosity about us where, you know, if if, if you look at my playlist, uh, right. you know, I'm going to have people who died by get Jim Carroll band followed by Jim Neighbors singing Love is Blue. And that's not a joke. That's really the kind. Yeah, no I mean, doubt. I'm no always doubt. just looking. I, I want to dig deep into all the stuff that nobody else is looking for. There's so many fascinating things that are awesome. Yeah, that, it's like, think yeah. about it. Like in the old days, you used to have um, like alternative, you know, Mondo Kane and all these, like there was one bookstore, there was one video store in New York that you could go to and get these weird movies and stuff. And yet the world is like content to watch Mrs. Doubtfire or whatever <laughs> Julia Roberts puts out. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's fucking geniuses toiling, you know, um, oh, Ross and the Howard planet. Oh. And like, here's something that needs to be said big time is that, holy shit. I just broke my brewer chair from mid century. These things are, <laughs> What a piece of shit! Twelve hundred dollars, and I just fell through it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! And that was, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put that on the page. That's a shoot, people. What the fuck? What, that was your love ball? Through. I just fell through my eight hundred dollar mid-century brewer, uh, big-time chair. Sounds Jesus more like days. a gym brewer chair. All <laughs> right, it's like it's a scene night. So, um, okay. What the fuck were we talking about? Because I felt well, so we were talking that about that my asshole literally touched my wood floor, and now I oh now I oh god, you're getting me horny, now man. To, you're getting now me hot and bothered now. Whoa, now okay. Oh, I, uh, I know what I want to say. This is it. Okay, okay. It's, okay. It's two sentence. No, no, no. It's a two sentence thing. What a train wreck. You take me compared to uh, mainstream, and I'm like out there. But then there's a thousand miles to go before you get to Vandal. You know what I'm saying? I so like, I'm, I'm into off the beaten path. He's into shit I never even heard of. He's into the minutia of the minutia. So he's the king. Oh, and the, it goes both ways. I've <laughs> I've learned and, and Howard, I so wish I so wish you could have been here in SoCal in the mid nineties, because there was this store that you probably would have like pulled up a cot and made yourself at home at. It was called Mondo Video A Go Go. Run oh, yeah, by these two that. brothers. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, in about 12 years ago, the one brother, uh, Bruce, uh, died. I don't know what of. And then uh, Rob uh, shot himself a few years ago um, after having some chronic illness for some time. But, man, I used to go in there just to hang out. I used to hang out because they rented all the tapes they're not supposed to rent. Yes, you could get all the, like you said, the Mrs. Doubtfire and Julia Roberts tapes. 
you want. But they also had a candy sample section. They had uh, uh, if you if you were into anal sex, you just looked for their section called mud flaps. Excuse and, me, but I'm never. That's hilarious. But I'm never going to be able to work this in anywhere else at any given time. How did Candy Samples look exactly 56 years of age during her entire life? I don't know, but I would have done her. Goddamn! <laughs> when she was 18, she looked 56. And what was with those? Boobs? I know. I know. Are they? Is she, that her early oh, you know what? job? Is she? Is she like Carol Dota? Is she one of the first people that ever got a boob job? Because they look I like have concrete. But when you used to go to an X-rated bookstore in the 80s. Uh, before the wondrous internet, it came with candy samples everywhere. Like, what the fuck? That's the most attractive woman in the world. But in those days, I think less people were more willing to take their clothes off. So hence, you had like three months. No, there were a lot of hot. There were a lot of hot women taking their. You had kitten to have a dad, Ushi to guard, and candy samples, Mm -hmm. and everyone else. Here's the thing. Ushi the guard would not do, do hardcore. Kitten got now Tevadad hung, you know, held out before she did hardcore. Candy Sample did hardcore that, early on. But that here's the other. Me. But here's the other thing. There were a lot of uh, hot women there modeling uh, back, like in the early '80s, when Candy Samples was popular. And Candy Samples is one of those nobody wanted to admit that they wanted to do her beat, but they're they're like, oh shit, that looks like the naughty woman who lives two doors down who lures uh, the teenagers in for lemonade or something like. Oh, and it, then oh, it, oh, at two a.m. on a Saturday night at Christopher's, I'd be doing Candy Samples. Make no mistake about it. But I mean, look at <laughs> look at it, look at. You know, I live in Miami. You go to the Aventura Mall. It looks like the day shift at the greatest strip joint you ever saw. And then for all of the 70s, all you had was candy samples, uh, Aunt Peg. I mean, there were like five girls who would get naked, and now everybody gets naked. Your sister, your mother, your daughter. Everyone's all over the goddamn internet. People do it because it's cool now. They do it because it's cool now because it'll impress their best friends. But back then, it was like you were pretty radical, you know. Uh, know, One of my first exposures to the adult film industry was uh, Aunt Peg, a friend of mine uh, when we went to – Oh, she was great. Where's my Aunt Peg people out there? Me and Vandal have very similar tastes and very <laughs> di- disparate tastes. Absolutely. Like he's into Joyce DeWitt, and I wouldn't touch Joyce DeWitt with your dick. But I'm just saying, but we have a lot of similarities, too. Go ahead. But you would touch my dick, and we all know that, right? <laughs> I think I did in the um, Carmine's bathroom at the CAC. But that's I digress. right. That's right. I think when we all tried to sit in the tub, we are trying to repeat the old, the old college trick of getting into a phone book. But we said, right. hey, we can only get four of us here if we're clothed. But if we all disrobe, we can get six of us in that bathtub. I'm so if glad I don't go to I CAC. only I went to an all-English boys' school, what I missed out on. <laughs> well, g- gentlemen, if I may jump in, if I may jump in, because this is getting out of control, you two are just out of out of line. You guys are just over the it. top. They're going to love it. Isn't it funny when Brian says something's a train wreck, it's actually a work of art. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong there, but you're talking about obscure. You're talking about things on no, the No, they're going to, this is going to get over big. I've, 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 uh, I've experienced in this area. They're going to love it. There's no way you can have uh, this discussion and not get Scott in here. Cause Scott is the king of the obscure and the king oh, of the beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. Scott comes up with bands that I'm like, so not familiar with. Because Scott is like a real uh, musician historian, so yeah, uh, I, I, I I I learned fr- learned from the the example of uh, of really talented, really cool people that the thing it should really be inclusive 
uh, you know, if, if somebody looks like they want to know, you know, you you can you can lead them to the thing and say, well, you sh- if you're into this, you might want to look at that. You might want to check out this, you know, and uh, that's been, you know, I was always in, interested in something that was a little off kilter or way off kilter or theatrical, uh, you know, and and way back then in my day you know <laughs> in your day uh, you listened to El Duce where all the other kids listened to yeah, Journey <laughs> oh no I but, I but I knew about guys like him you know even though I wasn't a fan you know it, it was interesting reading material but but there's something to be said for having to go and seek things out like I used to have to do, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, that's what's so awesome. Another cat like that is a guy who uh, rests his ultra taro here in the SoCal region, Kevin Lyon. You, okay. you bring up the most obscure group and I lay odds. He not only knows about them, but he saw them. He saw them in concert. You know, the pug oh, yeah. is a group that I thought I was the only person who heard of. And he was like, Oh, you should have seen them in concert. I'm going you son of a bitch. You saw them in concert. <laughs> I missed oh, yeah, that I have a friend, train, I, man. I, That's I nothing. Scott thing. fucked one of the shags. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I shagged her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you shagged a shag? Oh, that's a girl group. <laughs> you don't know the shags? You don't know the shags? I pictured a bunch of, I pictured, I honestly, in my head, I pictured five Clem Burks on stage. <laughs> <laughs> recent new facebook friend of mine um just out of the blue sent me a sent me a shag uh, a, a video of a shag song and i thought oh well, <laughs> see now we're now there's a kindred spirit you know uh i gotta look that up oh boy and uh <laughs> scott had an overseas <laughs> scott had an overseas uh london uk love affair just like me i stayed on cheney walk right next to mick jagger's old flat in the olden days Kensington High, you know, all of that. Tut tut. Shout out to my John Lees and all that. <laughs> I don't mind. You were just a little older. You could have gone to an old boys' school, an all boys' school in England and done Mick Jagger. Can you imagine exactly. bragging about that? Exactly. I got, got a friend named Chuck that we've talked about him on the show before. Uh, Brian <laughs> yeah. knows him. Chuck's like five years older than me, and the stuff he says, you know, he's a rock and roll fan just like us. Uh, and the stuff he says, I always tell people now, as old as I am, I wish I was five years older, you know, <laughs> because he talked to Chuck. and he I says, do, too. He says, my oh, sister, yeah. he says, uh, I got he says he got he got grounded once because he snuck out of his house and went to see uh, Jimi Hendrix play at a high oh. school. You know? Oh, the story <laughs> kill me. I know. You know, and, I, like- and I said. And then I say, I yeah, I never got to see Queen. You know, they never came to upstate New York, and the, they were a little, you know, not before my time, but they never came around anywhere where I could go see him. And Chuck says, Oh yeah, I saw them at the Tower Theater. <laughs> I did. And I said, oh. He says, Who Okay, this me? is where I'm jealous. I'm jealous because my sister yeah, so- not only did. She- oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to. Go ahead. Scott. No, it's just it's just so casual. You say to Chuck, you you'll just say to Chuck. Oh wow! You got to see Queen at the Tower Theater. That must have been incredible. He says, "Oh yeah, it was great." And I said, "Who opened for him?" Mott the Hoople. 
he says, no, um, uh, thin Lizzy. You know <laughs> My sister not only got to see Bruce, Bruce Springsteen in a high school gym in New Jersey, but yeah, she also got to see college. Jim Morrison, you know, before he crashed and burned. I mean, I am so envious. And then my oldest brother and his wife got, we talked about Jimi Hendrix. They saw Jimi Hendrix open for the mamas and the papas. And they said like about a quarter of the audience was families. And they're just looking at Jimi Hendrix. And I, I asked my brother, did they look at him like, you know, Oh, Albert, help. There's a giant Negro on the stage. I'm frightened. <laughs> and he says, that's kind of what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He must have been mind blowing back in the day because to this day, nobody can touch him. This guy, Chuck, nope. that Howard's talk that uh, Scott was talking about here. One of the funniest human beings I was ever around at a wrestling show. A couple of quick stories. Oh, yeah. One, we were having a tape party in my hotel room once when I came up for a Dennis Carluzzo show or came down for a Dennis Carluzzo show. And it was really late at night. It was like two in the morning. And it was at the end of the night, it was me, this guy, Chuck Weber, who maybe I'm wrong. He was like six, five, 350 pounds, massive guy, Greg Greenland <laughs> and John Owen. And I'm trying to call down because they're about to leave. I'm trying to call to make a wake up call. And no one's at the front desk answering. Now we're in the hotel room at two in the morning. He's screaming out his impression of the. Roger's Corner, where Jimmy Snooker finds out that there is no contract. <laughs> Jimmy, you have no contract. Two in the morning, he's screaming it out. And I'm horrified. Liar, liar, liar. Buddy Rogers, you're a liar, 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 Buddy Rogers. He's screaming everyone's rollout. Snooker doesn't say a word, so it's easy. He's just, you know, will you manage me, Buddy Rogers? Uh, so we go downstairs. I'm walking them out thinking, no one's answering the phone. Let me just go to the desk and... It's two in the morning, but I'll make my wake-up call. There's no one there. He just takes it upon himself so casually to go behind the desk and start going through papers. And somehow he found the list of every employee's phone number. And he calls the oh manager at home, wakes him up at two in the morning. And he just very calmly sounded professional all of a sudden. You know, I'm trying to make a wake-up call here. There's no one here at the hotel. And, uh, you know, this is horrible. I don't know what kind of operation you're running here. And the guy who just got woken up is apologizing and everything, and he'll get someone there right away, and he'll take care of it. And just at the end of the call, Chuck goes, thank you, I appreciate it. My tits! And he hangs up. And the next story, he was the loudest fucking guy I've ever been around, just naturally. And I'm at Madison Square Garden, and I'm sitting in Georgie and Macropolis's seats, second row on the rail. And all of a sudden behind me is Chuck and Greg Greenland. I think they drove up together to the garden. And he's like, I don't know, standing in the aisleway. Maybe it's around the 10th or 12th row where the aisle is. And it's Tracy Smothers as Freddie Joe Floyd against Triple H when he was still Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And this is like one of the first matches on the show. And all of a sudden you just hear this voice. I didn't know he was there. You just hear, hey, LeVac, are you still blowing Kowalski? <laughs> and it's so loud everyone hears it so all of a sudden Triple H in the ring starts like going to the rope and pointing to him and I, whatever he's saying you can't hear him but you hear Chuck yeah you're blowing Kowalski yeah you're blowing <laughs> and then security just like shoes him away but it was fucking hysterical oh, one of the funniest guys he went to the early 
you went to the early ECW shows when Morocco was working them, and you know That's Morocco right. had put on the, had really packed on the pounds, you know. So he'd been walk up the aisle and stuff like that. He'd go by Chuck, and Chuck would go, "Haystacks, Morocco." Uh, <laughs> yeah, Morocco was pissed. <laughs> wasn't, well, wasn't well received. No, it was not. That's well a shame. Totally unflappable, Don Morocco. Uh, I love the story about him. Great Netflix show, by the way. <laughs> I love the story about Chuck. I probably have told this one on here before about him walking into the locker room in Atlantic City. As as Brian said, very tall, very big, whatever. And you don't know the guy. Backstage at a wrestling show, you'd say, oh, yeah, he's he's a wrestler or he's a security or trainee or something like this. Mm-hmm. So he goes to a show in Atlantic City and he and Greg and those other guys only as a last resort would they ever pay to go to any show. <laughs> you know, they'd find <laughs> they'd find a back door, they'd con somebody, or, not, or you know, they'd they'd get a free ticket yeah. somehow, or they, you know, if they find an open door in the back, they just walk in. And I could never get away with such a thing, but Chuck would just keep going. Now the person, if anybody sees him and says, "Oh, he doesn't belong back here," they've either got to abandon their post or run after this big guy. And he's huh. not about to stop, you know. <laughs> So he goes to Atlantic City. There's an independent show, and the main event, bizarre as it sounds, is Abdullah the Butcher against Rick Martel. And um, he just walks right in the back, you know? And uh, he can describe the whole scene and everything about this, you know? And Abdullah had some really elaborate, you know, uh, way of folding his giant bankroll. So that mm-hmm. he'd know instantly if he left it behind, if anybody touched <laughs> it, he'd know that it had been done, or he'd have to find somebody that he had trusted more than life itself, you know, to watch his thing, or he had this this puzzle, you know, <laughs> created on the outside of his bankroll <laughs> or whatever. So Abdullah's backstage, Martel's backstage, and Chuck is walking around. And you know, it's a sin for a veteran worker to admit. They don't know somebody, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Even so if Chuck, they don't. Yeah. So Chuck doesn't belong back there it, by any means. He's just barreled in backstage and walking <laughs> around the locker room, you know? And he walks up to Abdullah, who's folding his money or doing God does what. And uh, he says, Larry. And uh, Abdullah looks up and he says, gesturing to himself, Chuck Weber. And Abdullah looks at him for a second, big smile on his face, and goes, Oh, been a long time, brother. Been a long time. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's so wrestling locker room. Oh, well, 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 totally. The one time, some, some awful show in, in Philly or New Jersey or something, this is pretty recent um, for the two of these guys to be involved. Uh, the main event was Funk versus Abdullah. And Abdullah, mostly in his latter years, had a regular manager, a guy named Honest John Cheatham, who is oh my God. Since, pa- since passed away. You know? He did. Uh, but, Ab- but Abdullah liked him, and he made things work for Abdullah. He seems so healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it was a I don't know if it was a gimmick or not, but I've seen tape of it. And Chuck, I think it was this, this same night. Chuck Weber has talked talked about times where, out of nowhere, Honest John Cheatham is doing something or other at ringside, and 
literally like an old comedy, his pants fall down. Was that his real name, by oh. the way? No, no, it's like Dewey Cheatham and Howe, Honest John. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But, uh, I thought it was kayfabe. I, I wasn't quite sure. Oh, but that's so funny. We had a character like that on the indie scene here. Uh, this guy Barry and the you know uh, this group that runs in Simi Valley or used to run Simi Valley, and no matter what his job was, whether he's a ring announcer, whether he served referee duty or whatever, or his commissioner, he would never show up like in a suit or anything like that for any of these roles, or even like nice. He would always show up in his. You know his golf shirt and his shorts, and he's a he's a, he's a pretty big guy. And every time, the shorts would go down, and it was never a is never a work or anything like that. You see him trying to grab <laughs> at them and pull them back up, and I almost think they just hired him just so they could see his shorts fall down. <laughs> oh jeez. Well, well, Chuck. Uh, so so there's a main event in this you know school high school or whatever it is. Terry Funk versus Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah's got Honest John Cheatham. So then they, they're they in the ring, or they're at the ring at ringside or whatever. I don't think the match ever got in the ring. Uh, so then they introduce Terry Funk. And Chuck is back by the locker room door. And the place was pretty packed, you know? Uh, Funk comes out all wild-eyed, got the, got the branding iron. I don't know who was taking what role or whatever, you know? But yeah, he's going to going to war against Abdullah for the thousandth time, you know. <laughs> and, and Chuck simply walks up to Funk and puts his arm around him and starts leading up the aisle like he's his manager. It's oh. like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. The whole way, and Funk's playing right along with it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love like, it. Chuck's like jabbering in his ear. Yeah, get him, Terry. You know, pointing and. You know? <laughs> He finally got he got he got him safely to ringside, not like a security guard, but like his manager. And then those guys were up for the races. Probably the only time those two guys ever faced each other and and got had no blood. <laughs> Terry Terry loved it wasn't that the blood. first blood match. It wasn't the first we, blood was, match. It was a I no was in blood the same match. Proximity as all those guys. He's like, I love Abby, and he really has an affection for him. Yeah, Abdullah is one of those old school carny guys, you know, for all you fans out there. Um, he's one of those guys who's truly like workers versus Mark. You'll get a picture with him, but it'll cost you a glass of wine or five bucks. And that's the truth. <laughs> and that's the truth. And I did it multiple times. That's and awesome. it's worth it. it. And it's worth it. I would have done it. He, it. How many times in life can you meet somebody that scared the living bejesus out of you at nine years of age? And then meet them as a grown man. And I mean, I don't care. For five bucks, of course, it's a no-brainer. But why be so petty? It's like my friend Seth Prezant at Rascal House one night. He's like, could I get an extra side of Russian dressing? I'm like, we're already Jewish. Do you have to debate him on the price of the side of Russian? Pay the 35 cents. And he's like, you don't understand. When these elderly altacacas stop coming here, we're going to be your fa- your base. We're going to be the customers. I'm like, Seth, come on. Do we not have a better reputation? <laughs> Pay the fucking side price over 35 cents of Russian dressing. And that's Abdullah the Butcher. Look cool. Don't charge me a glass of red wine to pose for a photo with you, okay? But it was worth it. And his, and his, and his manager, <laughs> Honest John, oh, my God. It just reeks of I need some schlub who will drive me around in his Lincoln. I mean, what the hell? And then one time he got hot at me. I was shooting for Japan. 
at a Bobby Rogers FOW show. It was dusty, biggest independent crowd of the year, Davy Rodeo Arena. And I'm not quite sure of the year, 2000, 2001. Terry Funk, Dusty, Abdullah, Kevin Sullivan. Four-way match, tremendous. Dusty and Funk are fighting all the way in the back of a rodeo arena in the clay and the dust by the horse stalls. They were right at home. Nice. In the ring, Kevin Sullivan, Abdullah the Butcher, Abdullah Juice is my friend, Bruce Owens. And it was like Bobby Rogers put on a magnificent show, huge crowd. And afterwards, we're at the Davy Ale House and five bucks or a glass of wine to pose with Abdullah. Well worth it. Absolutely. In fact, I'd say that's a bargain. Right, at half the price. Absolutely. <laughs> but he's one of those guys like <laughs> superstar Billy Graham where it's like – and I think Steve Kern's like that. And I think a lot of the old-time guys are like that. And you know what? I almost kind of respect it because somebody's got to stick up for it. And I mean, <laughs> listen to this. Forget the fact that Jim Cornette is on the Arcadian Vanguard Network for a second. Jim Cornette huh? is a national – treasure as far as the history of professional wrestling because think about it who else is saying what he's saying and knows what he knows and i'm not a shill mm-hmm. i will take brian, your word brian, for this, brian knows that i'm not a fucking shill <laughs> jim Cornette is a national treasure as far as you can listen to him and learn so much about psychology history mm-hmm. blah blah I'm like, oh my fucking God, like I'm jaded. I don't need any more wrestling in my life. And he's amazing. I don't even know how I got off of that tangent, but whatever. <laughs> Thank you. And you can, you can just PayPal it to me. No problem. Yeah. I don't I probably had a greater point to be made, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, think no, about no, it. I mean, no, 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 no. Yeah. Who's around, who's around to tell you who professional wrestling was is my real point. Who's around to tell you who professional wrestling was? Because if they're still alive, they're not going to talk to you. And who has the verbal skills of a Jim Cornette? I am a humongous Paul Heyman fan, but he doesn't get out there and tell the truth. He doesn't get out there. No, but I would love to hear him spiel the real truth, like give him a truth serum and have him just go blah, 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 and then this happened and blah, blah, blah. Because he's another guy, one of those guys. He's the Jewish Jim Cornette. And he's a student of the business. He's a genius of psychology. He could talk about the Northeast. That's the thing. I wish Paul had a forum and the right person to talk to him just to ask him about the WWF, WWF yeah. from the mid-70s until the mid-80s because he would have well, such and, a unique perspective with- on that because he was close with the Grand Wizard. Like He knew different people there. Right. And he was around. He was shooting photos. Blassy. You were driving blassy to scars sales as a young kid. What the fuck? My head would explode. <laughs> well, and oh the thing with Cornette, which is so enjoyable, is is that Cornette not only gives you history, but he will surmise, you know, from a newspaper clipping what a promoter was trying to accomplish like in nineteen fifty, you know, you know, like with limited information. Right. Because well, maybe Genius. what they were doing was this, that, and the Yeah, like like he's he's actually trying to get in their head and he's so I mean, fucking he, tuned he's in. It's ridiculous. If you have something to say about him, you're crazy because, I mean, if you want to hear about professional wrestling, listen to Jim Cornette. Who else is doing it? And when I see somebody, you know, like we're kind of in the Arcadian Vanguard bubble. We see all our own. But then you see something from another website and they're like, you know, Jim Cornette is our most genius living historian, et cetera. And I'm like, that's so true. But who else is going to tell you this shit? Because wrestling has gone the way of the sideshow freak show. and 
It's <laughs> always been a sideshow no. freak show. Yeah, but oh, Happy Humphrey. Happy Humphrey. What, what yeah, I'll never forget is what I'll never forget is when uh, we first met Dr. Jerry Graham, and we're driving. We're driving home, and uh, my my friend Lloyd was just saying, you know, you know who I love more than anybody is Harley Race. That guy is just so fucking <laughs> tough. That guy is tough. And Harley Race, I mean Harley Race. Dr. Jerry Graham says, "You're damn right, he's tough. You wanna know why he's so tough? You wanna know why he's so tough? He used to have to wipe Happy Humphrey's ass." <laughs> right. Right. And now Seth Rollins complains if his lighting is not good or whatever. <laughs> but all I'm saying is, I mean, this is just no, wrestling's a... always been a fucking freak show. Jack okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. But, 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 but what I'm saying is the fun aspects of it are gone. You can't do the fun They're gone shit. for us. You can't, you can't. Yeah, so it's it's finite. It's limited. It's, 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 it's like 70s rock. It's like if you like it, it's done. Now you can research all the different groups because it's over. They're not creating any more of that music. Every once in a while, there's a revival group like Rival Sons or Golden Honey or something like that, but I digress. And they (laughs) capture the 70s hand, 70s vibe and everything. But the thing about uh, tribute albums is that you always want to hear the original artist. So the thing is, I beseech you people, uh, look on the YouTube, imagine something really cool and dangerous and underground and not mainstream and legit – you know, legit possibility of damage coming from the crowd and danger and everything and riots and people who actually believed. And because what's going on today is, is ridiculous horseplay. It's outrageous. I could, I mean, I could have been a wrestler when I was 18 by today's standards. What the fuck? It's a, yeah. it's literally well, here's the thing, though, is you'd be, it would be, no, you'd be even more, we would all be even more disappointed if kayfabe returned like it used to be. We'd be so upset. You know why? There's a way to do it, but they don't get it. They don't. They don't feel no, it. No, 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 Hold no, on, no, 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 no. That's not the question. That's, I want to hear what he's going to say. Question. The reason why we would be so upset is if kayfabe came back, most of us would not get to play because it was such a tight, tight, uh, uh, you know, group of group of folks, and well, they, they were should so be. paranoid about letting the. But you wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be. This podcast would not exist. Um, it just wouldn't. Yes, it would. No, it wouldn't. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but we've got to. We've. But we've got to put it into perspective. This is like those porno websites where they talk about Forty Second Street, and they're like, there was an era. It ended in 1988. This is a finite thing. It's something that happened and ended and, and became something else. And that's the beauty of it. Well, yep, that's yeah, the that's, a, that's what we need to celebrate. We can't have this war between this is wrestling. This is not wrestling. This is sports entertainment, and you can have it, but I'm taking my wrestling. I'm taking my Terry Funk fucking wrestling for me. That's mine. You kids don't understand. That's not yours. You grew <laughs> up on something different. You grew up on yeah, something I'll, different. Yeah, I'll be honest. And you can have I mean, it, I don't... and you can take it. I... But but, yeah, but I have don't no compare, problem. Don't, I call have it, no. don't call it my wrestling, and that's why a guy like Cornette would get mad, because if 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 you if you it, you're known as a fucking wrestling guy, and now wrestling is this, you know, like I have no problem the, with it. It's, you know, I, it doesn't give me wood. It doesn't. Today's product generally doesn't give me wood, with one exception when I go to pro wrestling gorilla. I feel like a kid again when I go to those shows. A big part of that is that audience is just so into it and i mean it is fun but yeah the product it does not give me wood but 
I have no problem with it. There are, are people enjoying it the way they enjoy it. But what and do you get funny. out of it? Hear- okay, so there's, so okay, so you don't hate it, but but what is there to like about it? I'm not talking about what I get out of it. I'm talking what the general public gets out of it. I mean, you know, okay. this is our generation. Public po- I try. I'm a big. I'm a big empathy person. I try to put myself in the. Mm-hmm. I always try to figure out how the ordinary man. <laughs> I'm so That's bizarre. No, that's not true. I'm, I'm so out there. I'm always trying to think like, why is Howard Bomb and Mr. M, Mr. M, I'm very misunderstood. You know, no, I'm like, okay, that's the punchline of the night. No, no, no. I'm very misunderstood. Well, there's his, there's his new nickname, Mr. Empathy. I'm so uh, ah, that's your new you have name. To play me, you have to play me out like Don Rickles. <laughs> but the thing is, no, no, because no, I'm like the Sabra. I'm like the Israeli Sabra, the cactus, which is I'm so sensitive inside <laughs> that I need a hard outer shell to protect my sensitive nature. And the thing is, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what I was going to say now about empathy. But that, you know, that's what a, uh, a good a good nickname for you would be Cactus Howard. No, cactus empathy. Cactus empathy. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting worse and worse. And I'm the and I am the peyote cactus. Thank you very much. Uh, No, but I mean, I don't know where I was going with that. But I mean, no, no, no. I'll be, I'll be honest. When I like, when I went to that one uh, AEW show a couple of years ago, there's a lot of it I enjoyed, but it didn't have that same passion. But you know, I was checking out a lot of people who dug it in their way and I have no problem with that. Well, and that's what I don't get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's my question. I'm trying to step in the shoes of the ordinary man. What do you get out of it? That's my big question. And I asked that about a well, lot of things in society, but I never had to ask it about wrestling because I was the one kid in my high school who knew what it was all about and everybody else didn't know what it was about, but I knew what it was about <laughs> and I couldn't wait for Wednesday night. And now... I watch AEW or WWF, and I say to myself, what the fuck exactly is getting over with these people and why? Because it's a whole whole different thing, and they did not grow up. They did not grow up experiencing what we experienced. They don't know what it's like. They hear hear stories about what it was like, and – they probably think half of them are myths, you know, like, like I'm sure people think right. about music and stuff, but here's, here is the other thing. They're watching just something that's different. Yeah. It's not the pro wrestling we knew. It's a combination of a little bit of the old pro wrestling, but with a lot of Kung Fu fighting and uh, soap opera soliloquies, you know, and that is, that's not, that's not really my cup of tea, but if they dig it, they dig it. If there's an audience, you know, you, there's an audience for it. If I can reiterate one word to the young workers of the, of the world, and I know that there's a lot that actually listen. Listen to me. I'm I'm your friend. I want to bring. I'm a I'm oh, a friend a of wrestling. Okay. <laughs> Pretend like you hate each other. Protect your persona. That's it. I just said two things that could change the trajectory of your career. Come out like you hate your opponent. Don't dance with him. And protect your gimmick. If you're a heel, make somebody afraid of you. If I may, if I may jump in here on a what I believe is in fact my show. If I may jump in for a second, <laughs> Kurt, how would you compare being in the audience at an AEW show to being in the audience in, let's say, Japan in 1990, or being in the audience at a lucha show in the early 90s in LA? How would you compare the experience like a, and the and the crowds? Your first, your first 
uh, the, what you first brought up. It was a, it was almost exactly like a Japanese crowd in 1990. They were really into it, and you know, uh, like when I saw somebody like if I'd see somebody like Penta or something like that, I kind of got it because you know I'm more of a lucha guy. Uh, what I dug about like the old Lucha Libre fans was they were passionate. They threw shit at the wrestlers, but when the day was over, uh, they would go up for the heels autographs and the heels gave the autographs because in Mexico, they didn't make it like I'm an evil person and he's a good person. It made it like I'm a Rudo. So I'm expected to be a son of a bitch in the ring. And, um, you know, the Technicos is actually part of the rules. The Technicos could, couldn't cheat as much as the Rudos. And it was a formula that worked for years. You know, now it doesn't work so much. But <laughs> but then again, like I said, everything changes. But that's what the AEW crowd was like. And it seemed like there was that same kind of com camaraderie, you know, with all the fans and stuff like that. And, you know, not everybody was trying. It was kind of refreshing to see not half the fans trying to get in the back door for free and stuff like that because they're smart and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a kick. I mean, like I said, I enjoyed the show, but it did not give me, you know, the same thrill that I used to get. But that, that's what they enjoy today. They enjoyed, you know, this form that we probably all don't get, you know. I, but but here's my question to the young fans, and please write to me. Mm -hmm. Feel free. Uh, <laughs> I'm seriously curious. No, I'm seriously curious as a psychologist. What are you seeing in it that you like? I'm dead serious as a human being. Like I see a lot of stuff in life. I'm like, why is that so over? And I'm genuine because I know I could tell you all day long what I liked about wrestling when I was a kid. And um, none of that exists now. So I would just like to know what find them. like about them. Find them. Ask them. They're out there. Find them and ask them. <laughs> mm. I probably have such a bad look on my face. In other words, you're kidding. You don't really want to know. <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, that's a good question. Besides, they would never be able to tell you because you would talk over them so much. You know what? No, next time, next time I'm in the show, I've been very good tonight. You have to admit. Um. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. I hung up half an hour ago. Uh, oh, Howard, Howard, I love you. I love you, Howard. Bond. This is a lot of soliloquies that built up over time here. It's been a long time, people. Come on. That's right. It has been a long time. I, I'm not, I'll tell you what my biggest complaint about wrestling is today. Over. Wait, hold on, hold on, Kurt. Hold on, Scott, what were you saying? Yeah, go ahead. I just said I'm not convinced that it's that over. I, they, they, they've identified a small group of very enthusiastic fans, you know, but I don't see it getting huge, you know. I And what, you know, I mean, today, if somebody draws three – in the old days, they'd cut their if they drew three thousand at a show, they'd cut their throat. They'd fire somebody, you know. Now they have a parade, you know. <laughs> wow, <laughs> three thousand people. You, you you see how many people weekly are watching AEW? Did, didn't more people watch Memphis TV just around Memphis? You know. I think part of it. Well, here's is the difference you have to too. Look at the difference that between is... now and then in terms of like you know people, and I've seen Dave say it, and he's not wrong, but. I think you need to put it in the proper context when he says things like no wrestling event in history. And maybe I'm paraphrasing a bit had the ticket demand 
that AEW had with whatever all in or double or nothing. I forget. It was definitely the first one, but maybe mm-hmm. it was more than that one. No show ever had that demand. And for an indie show or, or you know, a, a second uh, promotion to draw 10,000 people for the first time in however many years, 20 years is incredible. But what you have to also acknowledge there is that the world has changed. It is super niche. You have indie promotions who are broadcast on YouTube. People become fans of it through that. And they travel from all over the country to attend that super show in a way that when a show was advertised to just people in Greensboro or just people in New Orleans or just people in Miami, it may have been a big show, but it wasn't pushed everywhere else. It wasn't pushed as a show with a, as a super card that people had to fly in from around the country to get to. And that's the I, difference. I don't know how much yeah. more. I don't, I, once things get back and rolling, you know, if, if they're going back to, to live shows, I don't know how anybody can, can go to all those shows. And I don't think those shows have that big event uh, atmosphere anymore. Uh, I count the last year or two. Their pay-per-views will. Not the TV show, but the pay-per-views. Yeah. That's the thing is wrestling makes money in a different way. So even say yes. if you have some, you know, a fiery-eyed promoter, you know, like if I had a gazillion dollars, yeah, I'd fucking try to do something regional, but I don't have a gazillion dollars. I never will. But they're making – they make money in different ways. They don't make them from having territories anymore. They – it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, you could, if you talk to these uh, – you know, people putting up the money like, hey, let's make it like the old days. They're saying, no, we want to cash in, you know, and okay, yeah, that's promoters cool. would do the same way. And like I said earlier, Kurt, before you were on, AEW isn't growing. Their numbers aren't going up. The audience isn't growing. However, they're converting at least an eighth of their audience into paying customers four times a year at 50 bucks a pop, not even to count the merchandise or whatever else. So... They're not growing at the level that you would think a successful promotion would need to grow at, but look at what they're able to do with the audience they have. That's where, you know, you kind of have the chicken or the egg argument where someone like me or Howard or Jim Cornette or whoever it may be could say, well, they should do this or they should treat this a little more seriously or there should be continuity in terms of their angles and their TV and they should do this and this. And the other person will say, why? They're making money. Why should they do anything different than they're doing right now? They're pleasing the fans that are in there. It may not be a major audience, and it may not be over a million people. But and, and look I'm, at I'm the not going to name. Oh, sorry. But look at how many of them are paying for shit. Like you said, it's a different world in terms of the way a wrestling promotion makes money and stays in business. They're converting a large portion of their audience into paying customers. It's just that their overall audience isn't as large as a traditional number two promotion would be. But go ahead, Kurt. Oh, I, I remember when uh, Vince McMahon was going national and when he started having like all the Uncle Elmers and uh, had Halloween specials where people passed pumpkins to each other. Uh, I remember there are tons of guys who were pissed and said, they're killing the business, they're killing the business. But as soon as they got word that they might get a job, they're like, you know what Vince McMahon is doing for the business is pass really the good. Yeah, pass the pumpkin. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you like those guys? All those old school guys who are like, as soon as Vince started paying and there isn't one of them who turned it down, you know, for whatever crappy gimmick. 
and God bless the funks. At least what, they were still at least they were still almost able to become funks, but Dory had to become Haas. But Terry got you know, it, and they had to adopt and they had to adopt Jesse Barr. I mean, they can't <laughs> leave shit alone. They had to bring Dick Slater in as the fucking Southern Rebel, the most real life heel in the world. They bring him in as this like Southern like Tracy Smothers light as a as a baby face in New York. Howard Terry got <laughs> it. You know what? He was the first major star to do a job to Hogan on national TV. Hogan had already wrestled, I think, Nikolai on Saturday Night's Main Event, but Terry Mm -hmm. Funk was okay with losing to Hogan on national TV. He realized it wouldn't hurt him. He'll still be okay. Like He knew the game better than anyone. I remember also uh, when Ron Scholar was running here, uh, when Terry Funk was in San Diego in the dressing room, I saw him and Conan talking, so I thought, wow, here's totally two different generations. And so I just kind of sat in and listened to their conversation. I went to hear what they said. And Conan saying, no, I really think, I really think we can get the territories going again. I think it can happen. And Terry Funk just looked up and says, let it go. <laughs> it's not happening. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm so glad I shared the same. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I hear that. They're like, you know, if it's just done this way, I'm sure you guys have heard yes. it. Oh, come on. You're killing me. I got things to do. No, they just need to do this and <laughs> Absolutely. That. Give it up, man. It's dead. It's finito. Come on. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Vault. They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> put it in the vault. Hey, it was a great thing. Put it in the vault. Van Halen's not here anymore. Zeppelin's not here. Put it in the vault. Yes, the new stuff sucks, but our stuff is... It's like Johnny Ramone said. It's like Johnny Ramone said... When they said, well, Joe Ramone's gone. Are you going to get the band back together? And goes, hell no. Like, he, like we, we didn't like each other, but we were, he was, you know, an things integral part finite. of the band. Said, yeah, they come to an end. Of, Everything comes to of, an end. Things are of their time, you know? And we were lucky enough at least to have experienced that. The Ramones and, uh, hated yeah, exactly. each other, and then they stayed together for another 15 years. <laughs> And they were the only two who were consistently with the band. The only two. They're the only two who hated each other, and they stayed together with the band. But when it was over, uh, Johnny Ramone said, if you want to hear the Ramones, you know, the records are there. You know, listen to them. But the concerts are done. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only – I mean, if you think about it, anything in history is really, really like that. Like if you're into 80s synth pop or whatever it may be, it's like – that was that for that time. What were you saying, Scott? Um, Scott, what are you saying? did you ever – Kurt, did you ever hear the story about uh, Johnny Ramone going to see the Beatles? No, no. He, he went to see the Beatles at Shea Stadium, and he took a bag full of rocks to throw at him. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hold your ah, God, my eye. <laughs> the only thing, Howard or Kurt, did you guys ever hear when Joey and Marky Ramone fought on the Howard Stern show? so great i heard about it i never heard it though it was one of the funniest things i mean scott maybe because you've you and me have talked about it so many times throughout the years i still hear in my head the quote marky Teresa, marky Teresa," because marky (laughs) was trying to be like mother (laughs) Teresa. he started calling the the rumor was that marky was spreading all these rumors about joey that like he had two sets of teeth (laughs) <laughs> and, like, and like he was what were some of the rumors he was a Siamese twin like there were all sorts of weird rumors and then 
at one point they're bickering and uh they were in <laughs> on two separate phone calls and howard's staying out of it wisely and uh and uh one of them calls it they both had problems with drinking he says yeah mm-hmm. you're a drunk and uh marky's like yeah i haven't drank anything in 10 years joey and Joey goes, yeah, you're a dry drunk. <laughs> <laughs> the creepiest Ramon story I ever and that, heard was. And now Mark, was in I, this I, I wanna, that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. And there, there's a book on the Ramones. Um, I think it was called Hey Ho, Let's Go. Very good book. Excellent book on them. But it was written before the Lana Clarkson killing by Phil Spector. And. Uh, in the book, it said that Specter was waving his gun at the Ramones, and I guess uh, Joey just like worshipped the ground that uh, Phil yeah. Specter walked on, and Johnny just kind of says, "Oh, you gonna shoot me? Go ahead, shoot me!" Yeah. And, you know, just got in his face, and then he walked out. And I wondered if after Lana Clarkson, he said. "Damn, I was lucky." <laughs> he did the same thing to Blondie right around that same period of time, where he met them at like a at a hotel or whatever, and he convinced them to come back to the house, and then he wanted to do something with Debbie, and he wouldn't let the rest of the band leave, and he pulled a gun on them. Uh, wow. And <laughs> did Spectre, you know that Debbie Phil Harry was in was... Ted Bundy's car? I what? did know that, because I read, I read her that. memoir. I read she her tells memoir. the story that I just read, that she was in the backseat of his car, and she's like, it was all stripped out, no window or door controls, and she was convinced it was Ted Bundy after the fact, after she found out who he was. Now, for the record, in her oh, book, God. she also tells the story that when she was a waitress at the Playboy Club in Manhattan, one of her customers was the famous Gorgeous George, uh, who unfortunately <laughs> had been dead for about six or seven years before that point. But what were you going to say, Scott? Oh, did... Now, it's just about Phil Spector. Is it... Consider the fact that Phil Spector was so bizarre that Dee Dee Ramone couldn't take him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He had to to get away. That's how weird. A friend of mine, a friend of mine was asking, which which character did Phil Spector play in HR Puff and stuff? What? (laughs) 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 Good night, folks. See you next time. I'm not, don't worry. I'm not quitting my day job. My day job is I'm retired. Like I told people online, if uh, I love my job now because I'm the closest thing I can be to the character Jacob in La Caja Fall, where I clean house all day, scantily clad, just acting right. like a fucking queen. Hey, hey, speaking of life online, speaking of life online, did you guys hear about the trouble Scott recently got into on Facebook? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is last year sometime. Uh, we had a, on the Mothership page. There was a guy, I won't mention his name, but there's no reflection on him. He was putting up these polls of this wrestler versus that wrestler. And I guess he oh, was. Oh, I love those. I love those. Let me do he one now. Only- <laughs> Jerry O versus. Um, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Jerry O versus Master Jerry G. O. Just people with that. <laughs> I was going to say versus Jerry Allen, but I didn't want to kill your momentum, but it's too late. Jerry O versus Barry O. <laughs> Who the hell is Jerry-O? Steve-O. Steve-O. I was going to say, who's Jerry-O? Jerry-O was Jerry Allen in Memphis. That's what he went as. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Well, go ahead, uh, Scott. Sorry, (laughs) sorry. That's all right. (laughs) Um, 
so he was setting up these different votes, you know, and I guess he was going to put brackets up and, and do it. You know, so every couple of days he'd do this and that. Anyway, he put one up, which was uh, Terry Funk versus Shane McMahon. It's just he had the list of names and that's how it shook out this one particular day. And of course, everybody's ready. And, you know, is this some kind of a gag? Is this a joke? Terry Funk, Terry Funk, Terry Funk, you know, and the guy just for laughs or just to get some action going on the other end said, well, you know, just uh, just to keep things interesting. I vote the guy that put up the poll himself. I think he says, uh, just keep things interesting. I voted for Shane McMahon over Terry Funk. (laughs) And I said, and I said, and these people, you know, some people are getting a little overzealous about clapping back on, you know, Terry, Shane McMahon over Terry Funk. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I'm just saying in funk promo style, I just write back and there's no way you can miss the humor, you know, or the attempt at humor. I say, and after all that, you voted for Shane over Terry. Why you simple minded, uh, uh, you simple minded (laughs) egg sucking dog. Allow me to read you what I got from Facebook. After I called Uh, it. It's a a Shonda out there. I can already tell. In 2020, if you use Terry Funk's own verbiage to a Terry Funk fan, forget to gently, it. To gently kid with him, forget <laughs> it. You get a message from Facebook where I wasn't put in Facebook jail. That's not happened to me. That <laughs> that happens to some of my regular stalkers, but that hasn't, <laughs> happened, that hasn't <laughs> happened to me yet. But I get this warning: a little yield sign with a exclamation point in it your comment goes against our community standards on harassment and bullying (laughs) only people who manage can see this comment we have these standards because we feel we want everyone on facebook to feel respected and welcome and underneath it a bully you know and underneath it is a screenshot of of my comment scott cornish name redacted bully (laughs) bully and I, i and i'm really trying to figure I think it was simple minded that got me in trouble. I I'm I'm not sure about egg sucking dog. It's a good <laughs> thing. Would I Terry, tell you about getting a It's a good thing Terry isn't online now, you know, trying to cut promos on people. <laughs> because he'd be in Facebook he'd be in Facebook he'd be in the Facebook Who Scow is where he'd be. They would name <laughs> the Facebook jail after him. The Terry Bunk well, Funk Correctional me, Institution. That, that, if I look at my Facebook page, that warning comes up right at the top of the stats. So apparently it's like double secret probation. I've really got to be <laughs> careful what I write and what I say because I, I'm flirting with a, with a, uh, with a Facebook jail sentence. <laughs> what a I only got suspended once by social media, and that was last year on Twitter. I talked about a great, great wrestler named – Negro Casas and uh, got suspended for uh, race baiting. Oh, get the hell out of here. <laughs> I'm not joking. And here's where it gets even weirder. Uh, it was in response to somebody who responded to somebody else, and they all mentioned his name, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? Black houses? Like, what the hell? What? I know, little black houses. Maybe I was a, 
Cossack Maybe that was Russia. the dark side of John John Cougar Mellencamp. I don't well, know. Well, it's a sad state. It's a real sad state, and that's you know perpendicularly. That's why wrestling can never come back because you can't shake the rail, you can't call someone fat, and you can't call someone a egg sucking dog. But so, you can still tell them they suck their mothers. <laughs> <laughs> they cornhold their pregnant brothers and they fuck their pregnant sisters and their whores <laughs> on top of that. Well, we've reached a new milestone here with the 605 <laughs> Super Podcast. It certainly seems that way. <laughs> certainly feels that I way to John, the people. <laughs> I wish John Waters were still making movies because I think he's the the one director that could properly do the Dr. Jerry Graham story. <laughs> so true. Of course, Div- so Divine, true. Is not, Divine is not alive to play Dr. Jerry Graham. But, uh, <laughs> Neither is John Candy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, everything is so surreal and crazy right now. All you got to do is smoke some weed, put some headphones on, and go outside and just look at real people. It's crazier than anything they can imagine. Because my public is like a Fellini movie on a daily basis. So, I mean, who even needs entertainment (laughs) anymore? (laughs) You know? I mean, life is fucked up now. People are nuts. And uh, and that's Mr. (laughs) Empathy saying that. (laughs) Happy. (laughs) 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 Da da da! That's great. I was waiting three years for a three years for a um title. Hey Howard, uh Butch Reed recently passed. How much did you get to see him in Florida? Were you there for his whole run? It's funny, I was there in the front row in nineteen eighty two when he debuted, or eighty one, late eighty one, early eighty two, and I was sitting next to Sal, the guy who got me in with Duke Tanaka to shoot ringside, alongside um front rower, uh Sal. And I was always more into the heels. So I'm looking at whoever Butch Reed's opponent is. I don't care about the baby faces unless they're Dusty Rhodes because he was busting with charisma. I didn't particularly care about any of the baby faces. And I'm like, whatever. And I'm shooting photos of everyone. And Sal goes, see that kid? He's going to be a big star. And I remember when I was 16 and I was like, eh, don't care because John Studd and Bruiser Brody were coming out. And that's who I was there to take pictures of, in my mind. Because I was shooting for Japan before Japan was a thing. Bruce Reed, obviously, objectively, was a tremendous talent. I'm not into baby faces, so that's the most I could possibly say. Carmine was on tour with him. He says he's cool. Carmine Despirito, my boy. He was on tour with him. He likes Butch Reed. If I could mention a... All I can give you is what I got. <laughs> if I could give a tribute to Barry Orton, because that was the first wrestler I ever interviewed. Yeah, I saw you uh, write something about that the other day. Of course, Barry O just passed away. Uh, t- talk about Barry O. <laughs> well, I was like 17, and Tom Burke, uh, uh, I, I wrote one of those little, just like simple columns in the back of Ring magazine for about a year already, I think. And then Tom said, uh, hey, Barry Orton's in the territory. He says, I'm going to send you a Ring Wrestling Magazine press pass, see if you could approach him for an interview. So I went to San Bernardino Dino Arena, my favorite arena, and, um, San you know, just, you know, what's that? Can you clarify that for the folks at San Bernardino Arena? San Bernardino. <laughs> okay. St. Bernard. Bernard. San Bernardino. Anyways, uh, you know, I'm, you know, 110 pound kid carrying a 25 pound camera case and my little tape recorder. And, you know, I walk up to him stammering like Ralph Cranston and, 
what I got was his sister Rhonda was there and the two of them gave me not just the red carpet treatment for the interview, but uh, they hung with me in the lobby the whole night and just, they couldn't have been nicer. Uh, and yeah, we start talking music and I mentioned Rocky horror and his sister says, Barry, Barry, this kid likes Rocky horror. And right there in the lobby, he breaks out into sweet transvestite for me. And um, <laughs> the other, that was also my first, uh, my first exposure to kind of people trying to uh, work fans and thinking they're not as smart as they are. Uh, Cause his sister Rhonda was trying to tell me some Charles Atlas story about how Barry was on the beach and he saw some like ruffian harassing a woman and Barry beat him up and you know the girl went back to his place and yada yada and then the one that was a little more cringeworthy was uh Barry Orton uh, Orton was the original uh Mac in the insult that made a man out of Mac absolutely quit kicking sand in my face in my face you cocksucker (laughs) And but the, then the part that was really embarrassing was uh, Barry. Barry tried to claim that he was in the band Nectar, that uh, progressive <laughs> rock group, <laughs> and he um, he claimed that we just finished recording an album called Through the Ears. And anybody who, if there's any Nectar fans out there, you know that Through the Ears was a best of album. <laughs> 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 but I want to say he was so they were both so nice to me and I I you know just that couldn't have been a better introduction to the business especially when you know you're this sweat 17 year old dweeb who's you know you know never really you know I, I met Don Morocco and that was it you know I never met anybody else so you know they were they were more than accommodating couldn't have been nicer I saw Barry and uh at uh, Cauliflower Alley one year, and it was just funny that I happened that I happened to see him because I was in some probably in the dealer room or something or one of the main ballrooms, and I hear a definite a recognizable voice, and it sounds like Bob Orton. It sounds like Cowboy Bob Orton. So I turn around and say, "Gosh, is Bob Orton here?" And I turn around and it's his dad. You know, <laughs> it's a, he has the exact same <laughs> voice. That Bob Orton yeah. has, and I looked over a big booing voice, and the guy's loaded with personality, had all kinds of stuff to say, yeah. but he was in a wheel a wheelchair, and Barry was. I was his, there that uh, year, yes. His guy, mm-hmm. yeah, rolling him around, but um, yeah, there were a couple of interesting people with in wheelchairs that year. <laughs> that another met. another funny footnote to that is that the aforementioned Rhonda Orton was carrying on a fair. On an affair in 1984 with one aforementioned Dr. Red Roberts when we brought him over there for our NASA tours. <laughs> How about that? No way. Is, is wrestling not a small? And he would go over a day early. Call back. Call back. Six to hang out with separation. her. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, one big happy family. The king of of sports, we call it. As the man who uh, owns Ring Wrestling, uh, I want to announce that we're going to be releasing Kurt's article on Barry O and selling it as an NFT. If anyone wants to buy it tomorrow, we'll have it for sale. (laughs) (laughs) And And you have K-Fave memories now, don't you? I do. I'm not up with all the lingo. Is that on a tissue or... uh... (laughs) 
<laughs> Not quite familiar with the vernacular. I can't explain exactly what an NFT is. It's really hard. <laughs> it stands for non-fungible token. And uh, I was actually recently talking to someone, I, I won't say who, uh, who's involved in wrestling, who owns the rights to some content, who was approached about selling NFTs of his content. And I talked to him about it, and I've been reading about it, and I still just can't wrap my head around it. It's <laughs> As someone who invests in stocks, it's hard for me to, you know, Bitcoin is one thing, but this is a whole nother thing I just don't get. Yeah, I'm, I'm still mixed up on Bitcoin, so I'm not even going to delve into this uh, NFT. <laughs> NXT is bad enough. <laughs> I'm too busy with my underground uh, pedophile pizza ring, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I... <laughs> well, once again, how another, uh, hey, how many how many plus forty fives out there grew their hideous gray Rona beards and thought they looked good during this year? Show of hands. I grew it, but I didn't think it looked good. <laughs> I did, and nobody else did either. But I kind of grooved on it for a while. Like Keith Richards always said that he grooved on his rotting tooth. I grooved on my hideous gray, wiry <laughs> wolfman, old man, fakakta beard. Now it's gone, and I'm back to being a baby face. Uh, show note, please, Travis, you're doing God's work. Travis Heckle, let's have a round of applause for Travis Heckle. I sound like I sound like uh, Joan Rivers all of a sudden. <laughs> what amazing content he's churning out! I think I have heat with mm -hmm. him. I haven't heard from him in a long time, but I just want to put a note out there that I am back to being clean shaven when we when we put ourselves in our baseball outfits for the uh, cartoon thing. So I just want to put a note in there, and even even if I've done something to inspire the ire of Travis, I'm still a tremendous fan. I understand that sometimes people drift apart and whatnot. I don't know. It could be just I'm reading too much into it. But Yeah, I haven't heard anything. Work. I think you're reading too but, much into it. Okay. but the, the, the day day, I used to see more love coming from Travis, but I love He's Travis. He's not really so not on social media from, much anymore. Okay, so it's not, it's not anything from my part. And I'm no. saying that Travis is the greatest artist since literally, not figuratively, literally Leonardo da Vinci himself. Because the, the the facial things and the things he captures, forget it. Nobody can do what he does. So all I'm saying is, now that I put you over, which is legit, just just make a note that I'm clean shaven now. It's it's like post Rona. So we're hoping for the best. So watch, we all have beard. We'll, we'll all have beards in the illustration, like the like like the Smith brothers. <laughs> I yeah, love not and, shaving. And, Even before the coronavirus, I, mean, I got into a point a few years ago. It's probably around 2000. 16 where i just i was always clean shaven maybe a little bit of fuzz on my my you know chin but not much very very little and like close cropped and i just got to the point where i stopped shaving for a while because i was so busy and then i realized you know i kind of don't want to shave anymore it <laughs> yeah. sucks i hate it <laughs> it's freeing it's I, like I it's, it's it, like but... you you groove on it. it's like what is this it's like you're half wolf man i like that that's right. Yeah, I yeah. love werewolves See, I, of London. I, I, I'm totally down with being kind of half Wolfman. Yeah, I've discovered yeah, that. I'd never, if I never have if had I, facial hair at all. Uh, just uh, yeah, during 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 Corona, I I probably went through a month or better uh, not shaving. You know, but as far as actually attempting to grow a beard or wearing a mustache, I've never done it. 
I can't stand it. And I hate shaving too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always had a but fat all that, face. All that residual hate just all builds up and uh, <laughs> makes a uh, made shaving the worst possible <laughs> thing that there is. I have to stare at my horrible face. Oh, I shave in a dim light. It's like a it's like a crumb cartoon now. It's like what the fuck? Who the hell is that? <laughs> I shave in the shower so I don't get self-conscious. <laughs> yeah, I just started doing that. Holy shit, that must be a thing. I just I'm like yeah, now yeah. I don't have to. I'm like now I don't have to look at myself. Beautiful. <laughs> Give me more. Yeah, of and that. I don't like the way I look with the beard. I do not like the way I look with the beard. The mask. <laughs> what a wonderful Adios. thing. The year of the mask. You could scowl at people. You could pretend to be friendly. You could you could you could not brush your teeth. You could not shave. The year of my mask. Your mask. nose hairs. That's the greatest. Your year nose hairs life. go this, sprouting. This this will go down as such a great year. This is like the Larry David year. Like no rules. Do whatever you want. Shoplift. They can't. What? They can't. They don't have me on tape. You can do whatever you want. It's like mayhem. Yeah, I love it because this is the most time. Of, this is the most time Elena and I have spent together in years. It's yeah, like we didn't know. realize how, yeah, we didn't realize how little time we're actually around each other because we both have these big social schedules and we hang with <laughs> a totally different crowd unless it's family. And so it's like we've been, you know, indoors and people were joking saying, oh, you'll be divorced in six months. But man, <laughs> I, I, it's, just, it's fun getting to know each other again. It's, it's uh, awesome. I think it's great. It's what you make of it, folks. You know, I mean, really, if you're going to sit around and wait for something to change, this was a good opportunity, no matter your socioeconomic level, and mine is not tremendous. It's a really good time for reflection, and it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. And I said at the beginning Absolutely. of this thing, I said at the beginning of this thing, you know, it's in your own best interest to look at yourself and see what you can improve mentally, physically, psychologically, and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Take it to heart, people. Don't just eat fast food and jerk off, you know? It, there's a lot out there. There's a lot. There's opportunity to do, do a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's opportunity that's to do the, a lot. That's of the tagline of my new show, by the way. Don't just eat cheese and jerk off. That's on Amazon Prime and OnlyFans on Thursday nights. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, are there any I, other wrestling topics we should tackle before we uh, begin the slow road to wrapping this up? <laughs> <laughs> um. Um, I'm good. <laughs> I know, I just heard that. <laughs> Suddenly we have nothing to say. None of us have anything to say. Oh, buddy. You know, I was just I up just... in Philly at, a cra- at the last Crazy Eddie's, and I bought a new uh, Alexa, except it has the voice of Angel Amoroso. It's the most amazing oh, thing. Hey, Kurt, what did you think? Because you're someone who's always been really accepting of the uh, – uh, of the boundary pushing wrestling gimmicks and characters and performers. What did you think when everything came out last year about Joey Ryan? Oh, oh, I don't remember. We, we talked about that before I said, you know, yeah, one, I was all, you know, pro, you know, go ahead with the gimmick, all that stuff. But when I heard of it, about everything went down and I'll say it for the second time tonight, he sucks his mother's pussy. He cornholes his <laughs> pregnant brother. And he fucked his pregnant sister, and he is a whore. Fuck him. All right. Well, I, I had forgotten that we talked about it. It's been a while. But I'm glad we have you on the record as saying he should f- suck his mother's pussy. And fuck yeah, his fuck, pussy. Him, fuck him, fuck him, fuck him, fuck <laughs> him. We're a little 
a toots tonight, folks. You know, there's a lot of ring rust. I'm really not, uh, you know, I was in quite a groove before, but now I feel like I'm back in like mid card uh, as far as work rate. So I apologize. I think you did too many false finishes if I had to uh, keep your performance in power. <laughs> I don't think slap you the leg. Kicked out it. too many times. I, I regressed a little. I regressed a little to classic uh, Howard, but uh, <laughs> you know, with with repetition comes progress. How's that? Is chair? that my travel classic? <laughs> it's like uh, new Coke. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that. Is. Well, it appears that the guests really here right. have all run into the same wall at the same point in time, <laughs> and I'm right there with them. So I think we will begin wrapping up now here, this very special opening day Star Wars. I have to decide now whether this is going to be a part of the previous recording or its own recording, because we went pretty long and there's a lot of interesting topics here. So I got to figure that out. But closing comments. Did the word word baseball come up even once? uh, A couple times somewhere (laughs) at some point. Uh, Closing comments from everyone. Let me go to you first. Kurt Brown, a.k.a. Vandal Drummond, the beloved Vandal Drummond. The listeners of the Super Podcast have always loved you. Kurt, closing thoughts or comments about anything? Just God bless everybody in the mothership and the kayfabe breakers out there. Um, and I haven't been uh, on as much as I have in the past, but doesn't mean I don't see you guys and don't love you cats. And God bless us. And I can hear Mr. Empathy giggling away, cackling like a little schoolgirl. Howard, you are so adorable. Like, you know that? I like, I like the inflection. I like the soul you're putting in your promo, Daddy. Yes, yes, you are so adorable. That, that laugh you, know, you have is just, just... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but no, and um, I just, just, just want to say to my compadres, uh, Fredo Esparza and Dan Farron, miss you guys. We haven't seen each other in over a year, but that's going to change soon. So. Yeah, Dan actually Word. mentioned that. He was on the uh, other recording that we've done so far for opening day Star Wars, and he mentioned that he misses you and he hasn't seen you in over a year, and he's hoping to see you t- soon. It's I'm getting very emotional talking about this and knowing that you two guys were not brought together for Star Wars. You're still worlds apart, but... I'm sure you guys will see each other again soon. <laughs> Howard, closing thoughts Absolutely. or comments? Okay, April 17th, FEW is going to be at what? Mania 7. Are you just you plugging know, shows so- now? Are you plugging shows? <laughs> no, but I mean, these are people that have shown me love, so it's like, that's where I'm going. You can excise these if you want to, but it's an exchange for promotional consideration. Go ahead, where- go ahead. All right, so... <laughs> I second your move. Be, I, I second mean- Howard's move. I second Howard's uh, motion there. So, yes. My my buddy JB Cool, FEW. Hey, I'm not plugging my own stuff at least, which is Hardway Art. Only on the uh, <laughs> Facebook for now, but we're working on the website <laughs> literally as we speak. It's for real. Hardwayart.com. Look me up on the Facebook, Howard Baum, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. You can find me. Uh, I hope I wasn't too out of control tonight. It's been a long time, so we regressed a little, but... You know, in the interim, I truly appreciate being a part of all this. I thank Brian, who has become quite the mogul in the interim. And I totally enjoy the brotherhood we have over here with all my... This happens to be like the core of my favorite 605 guys anyway. So it's like a mini reunion. I feel like I'm back at the CAC. (laughs) And that's about it. I appreciate all you people who like, dig, and or tolerate me. Scott, I did want to ask, has everybody had the shot? I've had my first. I had a Pfizer, and I had the first, but not the second. 
I haven't. I had my first a few days ago. I'm too young, so I haven't yet been uh, eligible here in New Jersey. Uh, and I'm hoping for the Johnson and Johnson one shot in and out. Oh, you doesn't have to call it Johnson. <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> one shot. Oh, one shot in and out. In and out. In and out. From Johnson Johnson. Oh. Ryan, you wicked oh, man. <laughs> Some you Bill Saluga here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I certainly look forward to the comments in this one, and I truly do miss being a part of it all. So I'm glad it's all back and happening, and a good 2021 to all of us, for real. That's right. Scott? Scott, any closing comments or thoughts here as we wrap things up? You you guys have set the bar really, really high. (laughs) Yeah, follow that, right? (laughs) No, I, I can't because I, I and try as I might, I, I as a surprise to Brian, I wanted to learn how to play uh, Meet the Mets on my new Fisher Price xylophone. Uh, but, but I let me just see how it goes here. Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, come on and greet the Mets, bring your kitties. Anyway, oh, Cuba City Cuttlefish baby. And the Lane County Dope Fiends. Uh, I'm looking forward to yeah, yeah. I I guess I'm like one of those uh, one of those ball players that's been out of rotation for a long time and <laughs> is a little rusty, uh, uh, unlike uh, like the late Rusty Brooks. Uh, but uh, I want to thank you guys all. Uh, I hope we get back to uh, to uh, some other. Uh, 605 hijinks or uh, something new or something weird or uh, something we can all uh, sink our teeth into. Uh, thanks for following. It, uh, somebody on Twitter said, because I'm not nearly as optimistic as Howard, um, I had a horrible year that had nothing to do with with uh, COVID, uh, thank goodness. Uh, but it <laughs> it continues to be difficult uh, in the new year, and somebody on Twitter said, uh, everyone said, oh, 2021 is going to be the, the year that everything gets better and everything changes. And then somebody else said, I think 2021 is going to be like three 2020s uh, standing on each other's shoulders <laughs> under a trench coat. <laughs> well, I better find me a girlfriend in that case. Well... <laughs> Everyone, that wraps up opening day Star Wars here for the 605 Super Podcast. I don't want to bring the show down. Oh, I thought there was something after that. Have a great summer, everybody. You're all going to die. Well, we have more episodes of the 605 Super Podcast, new episodes in planning, in production right now. So stay tuned for that. We're pretty excited about it. And, of course, opening day Star Wars signifies the opening of the baseball season. This is the end of spring training. and. We're hoping for another fine season of the 605 Super Podcast coming at everyone in the coming days and weeks. A few notes here at the end. As mentioned earlier, Kayfabe Memories, now under the Arcadian Vanguard umbrella. Go to kayfabememories.com to see the classic website. Eventually, there'll be a redesign, but the classic content is all there right now. Some great articles about the territories. And of course, the Kayfabe Memories message board, tinyurl.com slash wrestling history forum there's a dedicated arcadian vanguard section there right now as well as a place to learn about or contribute information about 
the various territories. Check that out today. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast is on Twitter. At 605 Pod, what the fuck was that? <laughs> what was that? Oh, my computer did something. I don't know, man. I'm 50. <laughs> All right. Well, Howard may have fallen through the chair, but he picked himself back up right here on the Super Podcast. <laughs> As always, man. As always. Want to thank everyone for their continuing support of the Super Podcast and all the Arcadian Vanguard shows. If you want a Super Podcast or Mothership t-shirt or stickers, even wrestling news and wrestling review stickers and magnets, go to tinyurl.com slash superpodstore. But until next time, for the humorous Scott Cornish, Mr. Empathy Howard Baum, and of course, the one and only Vandal Drummond himself, Kurt Brown, I'm the great Brian Last. Let's go Mets! Woo! Tuba City Cuttlefish. <laughs>